Welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast with Jeff Baker and Drew Pelto. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. And sponsored by Drip Shop Live. Shop live streams of sports cards from your favorite sellers right from your phone or computer. Giveaways, auctions, breaks, personal boxes, singles, and more. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas to all. You are listening to TTM Cash, your sports collectibles podcast, where we talk TTM, cards, autographs, collecting. And anytime Drew has a new song out, we talk about his song. That's that's (laughs) in his contract. It is season four, episode 51, our second to last episode of the year. You're listening to TTM Cast, a nationally ranked sports pod- podcast hosted by me, who was not a nationally ranked sports podcast host. My name is Jeff Baker. I am talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host and, well, I don't know, what, multimedia, social media creator, Drew yeah. Pelto. There we go. Drew is on YouTube. He's posting YouTube stuff all the time. Drew, why don't you let people know where they can find you? Yeah, if you just check out youtube.com slash dfwgrapher. I finally put the name of the channel as dfwgrapher, and I was sitting there as Drew's autographs there forever. It's like, I should probably get this more uniform now. So it finally says dfwgrapher on it there. So you just find it right there. You can also go to my website, dfwgrapher.com. It'll have a link to my YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, um, Hive and Mastodon, though I still can't figure out those exactly, but um, yeah, I'm at least your so. want lists are there, and yes, I've got everything up on there for everything I collect. So go check did it out. Put, did you put links to your, um, your songs? Did you put links to your songs? I haven't yet. I, I, I do. I do mention it on my media page on there. I mean, my media page is mostly dedicated to my writing, but there are links to stuff from like every band I've ever been in on there, including the uh, newest Beethoven Bastards songs. Yeah, and guys. When you listen to our intro and close now, we're hearing Beethoven's Bastard, a little help is now our intro and close. They are, they're, they're officially the TTM cast house band. It took us a little while, but we now have a house band, right, Drew? Yep. Got those, got a little help up there. And we just put another song out this past week called Looking Down on Me. I love the, I love the drum part that I play on that one. So I'd say if you listen, if you're only going to listen to one of the two, I'd say listen to Looking Down on Me, but I mean, they're only three minutes long. You can listen to both of them with no problem. Yep, very good songs, guys. We also have a radio show. Joe, why don't you tell everyone about our radio show? Yeah, it's called Sports Collectors Club. You can hear it on Saturday and Sunday mornings. That's Saturdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, Sundays at 7 Eastern. Same episode running on both of those times. It's on the Sports Map Radio Network. If you have an affiliate in your area, tune in through there. And if you don't, just go and download their app through any of the app stores there. You can listen live to all their stuff. If you miss an episode, go to sportscollectorsclub.com and you can check out all of our past episodes. Very cool. Thank you, Drew. And Drew, I hit my first time, I think I hit a uh, restocking at, at Walmart yesterday, nice. or two, maybe two days ago now. So we were in there with my wife and my, my daughter and myself, and we were doing a little Christmas shopping stuff and getting a few things. And I walk over and the lady's there with, with a cart with about 20 boxes loading up the shelves. And I can't say I was a good boy. <laughs> I picked up a bunch of stuff more than I probably should have. I've only I've opened I think three of the boxes so far. No autographs yet, but I got some. I got a Bobby Witt, uh, rookie card. I got a Julio Rodriguez rookie card. I got um, 
I got a, a couple of cool select basketball cards. I got a Jalen Brown card. And what else did I open? I opened up, oh, I opened, I opened up uh, Absolute. I got a, uh, some cool absolute football cards. So nice. very, very happy. I got all sorts of cards to keep me busy for the next week or two to, to not like when as a kid and I just opened up everything as soon as I got them, but yeah. I'm, I'm kind of pacing it and we're going to have, we're going to have horrible weather here this week, uh, the end of the week in uh, Massachusetts, we're getting all sorts of rain and, and cold and stuff. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll do, do some of that tomorrow. And then I want to congratulate you, as you said earlier, uh, your second song was released. What's the name of it again? Yeah, it's called uh, Looking Down on Me. And that's, I think out of the three songs we've really done a lot of recording on so far, we've released two of them. And I think that's my favorite one out of all of them. So uh, yeah, go and check that out. It just hit Spotify yesterday. It hit YouTube a couple of days ago, but uh, it should be available pretty much anywhere where you find and stream music. So go and check that out. Like I said, the drum parts on it were really fun for me to play and all that. It's got cowbell on it. So if you've got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell to help you out with it right there. So very good. You look at that. He does impressions too. <laughs> I can I can occasionally break out a little bit with Christopher Watkins. Yeah, he's, a, he's he's very versatile. Very versatile. Well, guys, we have a fun show for you this week. We have Paul Coffin, who was a uh, Pro Bowl tight end for the Green Bay Packers. He also played for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to talk to him about his time in the NFL. And he's a great TTMer, so we're going to talk to him about signing autographs. We have Clemente Lace, who is back on U.S. soil. We talked to Clemente about that very exciting World Cup final. Did you get a chance to watch that, Drew? Oh, yeah. that's uh, There is no reason for anybody in America ever to complain about how boring soccer is ever again after that. Boy, that that extra time was so good, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, so we're going to talk to Clemente about uh, World Cup. We also talked to Clemente about collectibles, soccer collectibles, and whose player, what players saw their um, value increase as a result of playing at the, on the World Cup. And he, he's a great interview. So we talked to Clemente. And also, this is bonus. This is this is for Drew and I. This is our Christmas present to each other. We get we get to talk to Sal Barry about hockey cards and, and hockey collectibles. And we talked to Sal about uh, the confusion, all the things that Upper Deck has, and he gives us the cards we should purchase, the ones we should look at, look for, and talks about rookies to to collect. And so we talked to Sal Barry and Collectors Corner about hockey cards. And then next week we have a full show. End of the year, we will be out um, probably, I'll post it on uh, Friday, I think. We will have Rich Miller to review what's happening in the hobby in 2022 and outlook on what's happening in 2023. We have collector Mark Camps, who collects vintage cards, and he is a, um, he used to be a beat writer for the San Francisco 49ers, the San Francisco Giants, I'm sorry, in the San Francisco Chronicle, and we talked to him about baseball, and the he, ha- he, he has a... Um, a vote in the hall of fame. So we talked to him about that and he was very interesting. So we talked to, this is next week. We talked to Mark camps and we also talked close out the year with Les Wolf. We bring Les Wolf on. So we have a great show for you next week, but this week we have all our regular segments, right? Drew. We do indeed. We'll cover Baker's dozen where we talk about everything in the hobby news world here from the previous week. As uh, you mentioned, we have collector's corner with Sal Berry. Also have fast forward football where we make our really bad football picks every week. Uh, corn kicks, as you said, with Clemente Lisi. We'll follow that up. We'll have Making the Grade, where we talk about all things in the grading world. Jeff and I give our stamp of approval to a couple of things here from the previous week. After that, we have the Vern Rap Minute covering deaths in the world of sports, celebrity, music, movies, politics, anything like that. And the main reason why you're here, the main reason why we're here, our TTM returns. Yeah, and guys, we love to hear from you. We've got, we're getting a lot of emails lately and a lot of 
people texting in. Our text line is 978-729-0662. Don't worry if you don't have time to write it down. It's available on our website, ttmcast.com. Text line 978-729-0662. You can text us or you can email us at ttmcast at yahoo.com. Send us an email. We love to get emails. If you have any suggestions on uh, guests, future guests of the show, if you want to be on in uh, Collector's Corner, if you know anyone that that might be an interesting interview, send us a line and and I'm sure we'll reach out to them. Uh, Well, Drew, that wraps up all our introductions. We're going to go right into Baker's Dozen next. Baker's Dozen, sponsored by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Well, as we close out the year, we still have a lot to report on in the hobby. And that's what Baker's Dozen is. Baker's Dozen is a news summary. What's been going on in the hobby? Just a couple of things. I want to remind everyone, make sure you check out my article on TTM and autograph collecting on sportscollectorsdaily.com. I usually post either Tuesday or Wednesday morning. Uh, and I post all my successes right there. So make sure you check it out sportscollectorsdaily.com on TTMing, uh, and it comes usually Tuesday or Wednesday morning. Also, check out my article on author and uh, PSA chief authenticator, Kevin Keating. He's uh, wrote a, a book, and we talked to Kevin. I wrote a feature on Kevin for Sports Collectors Digest in this month's um, issue. It's their December gift issue. Make sure you check that out. Cool article on Kevin Keating. You can go to sportsclipdigest.com and uh, check it out. It's available online as well. Well, Drew, why don't you tell everyone about our, our, our worst named promotion, but our most fun promotion? Yeah, you've still got about another week or so to get in on this. That's the TTM cast give a card, get a card for the holidays. It's a great way to help out signatures for soldiers and to even add to your own collection as well. So what we're doing here is if you send two autograph cards and a self-addressed stamped envelope, send that to Jeff. His address is up on ttmcast.com, so you can just look it up right on right from there. Send him those two cards and a self-dressed stamped envelope. One of those cards is going to get donated to Signatures for Soldiers. They'll be able to sell it off. It'll go to benefit uh, wounded soldiers. It's a great charity they've got going on there. Second card is going to get sent off to another collector in their self-dressed stamped envelope. So you'll get one of the other collector's cards back. They'll get one of yours. It'll just kind of almost like a Secret Santa kind of a thing going on there. Yeah, so we're going to do it through, it through, through the year, through the end of the year. Yep, through the end of the year. So uh, if you haven't done it yet, get on that. And if you have done it already, thank you. And uh, you can get in on it again if you want to. I mean, we're, uh, I mean, like I've mentioned before, I sent 56 cards and 15 envelopes in. So there's going to be some extras out there and everything. And I'll be getting a whole bunch. I'm sending a whole bunch. And if you want to do the same thing, do that too. I mean, just make sure you're sending two cards for every uh, envelope, that you, for every self-dressed stamped envelope you send. So two cards, one envelope, four cards, two envelopes, 20 cards, 10 envelopes, however you want to do it. You get the idea. We're going to, I'm going to um, wait until the end of the year. So I will probably do that, put this all together um, the la- next weekend, sometime at the end of the last weekend, maybe while I watch the college football games, my wife and I will do the whole, organize it out, make sure everyone gets good cards. Uh, remember, you know, if you send out a good card, you, I'm going to make sure you get a good card back. 
Uh, so, you know, if you send out a Hall of Famer, I'm going to try to make sure you get a Hall of Famer back. If you have an extra card, uh, you know, it's just a regular uh, everyday autograph card. You'll, you'll get a, an autograph. Probably try to do it from the same sport that you sent it to me. Um, and it's just a fun way. We And hopefully we can earn some money for Signatures of Soldiers. Once again, the address, you can go to ttmcast.com to find my address and just send it off. And, and we still have, you still have about a week to get, get things done. You might hey, also want to add in there. You might want to add in there too. If you're sending from outside the U.S., send Jeff an email first, just so that because I mean sometimes it can get hung up a little bit longer and everything crossing the border and all that, just to make sure you don't accidentally get left out or anything like that. So you know, let him know if you're sending from Canada, Europe, anything like that. Yeah, and, and I I have plenty of autograph cards to send if someone does, someone misses out. I'll make sure I'll make Perfect. sure they get it as long as they get me a card. If they send me two, if they send me two cards, I'll just send the I'll send the two cards off to signature soldiers if, if they if, if they miss the whole the whole boat so to speak well guys we want to congratulate our raffle winners our friends at tga that's the grading authority it's tgacards.com has given us three sets of three free grading cards so we got each of these uh listeners is going to win three cards graded from tga for free which is a pretty good deal pick any three cards you want doesn't matter they will grade them for you slab them up and send them right back to you the three winners are brian murray dean murphy and leslie smith so congratulations guys congratulations on on winning um and i will drop an email to everyone tomorrow just to let you guys know what needs to be done i have a uh submission form for you for each of you to fill out when uh when you submit your cards and uh hopefully you you know you you get them back i think you'll get them back fairly quickly in, in less than 30 days i would think so congratulations Go to tgacards.com. That's the grading authority dot, uh, cards. T- tgacards.com to learn more about TGA. I think their their charge their their rate is sixteen dollars per card right now, and that's a thirty day turnaround. And it doesn't matter what the value of the card is. So check them out. Young company out of New Hampshire, and uh, I'm going to go up there and check their operations out after the the first of the year, and we'll report back to you on that one. Well, Drew. We have some auction news to let you know about Golden Auction had had their their big auction and the one big item on their auction they had a, they had a bunch of uh, things but the one big one was the Aaron Judge ball which sold for one point five five million dollars now I don't know if that's a wah 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 or trumpets and fanfare right what what do you think it's definitely to me that's uh, it's underwhelming I mean considering they had an auction house offering two million dollars for it. And supposedly another offer of $3 million out there. If that offer of $3 million is accurate, this dude is walking out with, I mean, a final sale price of only about half that. And he's going to be pocketing maybe, what, two-thirds of that final sale price there. So, yeah, he, I mean, that was a, that's a terrible decision there by uh, by. I saw there was quotes from this guy's uh, lawyer and him. And they were like, oh, well, this is a real auction and it's real money. And we're very happy with the results. And I, I can't see how they are. But he could he could have had two million dollars just straight two million out of this. Right, you've got. To, I mean, there's going to be money taken out by the auction house there out of that one and a half million. So, I mean, don't don't blow smoke up our ass there, dude. You're not happy with what you got on that auction, all right? Right, and we've had JP from Memory Lane on, and I I trust that that was a real bid. He's he's not going to stick his neck out like that if it wasn't. Well, he didn't have the two million dollars in his back pocket ready to go. But there were seven bids for for the ball. I think that. But the bids start at one was starting at one million dollars. The last bid was from a high-end collector from Wisconsin. 
this gentleman has uh, he, he stayed anonymous, but um, I know Rich Miller had him didn't interview him on Sports Collectors Daily, and he said that he donates a lot of stuff to the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, and he's a big time collector. So you know people in the area know him, I guess, but he didn't let his name out. But the guys only put one bid in, and he didn't think he was going to win. But he ended up winning for $1.55 million. So congratulations. I don't think he has any plans for that ball just yet. But, um, you know, I'm sure it'll make the – I'm sure it'll be at the National next year. What do you think, Drew? I bet it will be. I mean, that's uh, – they've always had all the big home run balls on display at the National. So I think you've got to have this one out there. Well, they have some other uh, not high numbers realized at this, this uh, golden auction as well. Yeah, the uh, 1990 Tops no-name Frank Thomas card. I got to say, I have never heard of one being graded this high. Every time I've seen one out there before, it's been like graded like a four or a five. I think the highest I'd seen before this was an eight. But Golden Auctions had a PSA 10 in that auction right there. $170,400, the final price tag on that one. So really cool to see that because, I mean, I didn't think there was going to be ever a 10 out there on that. And, well, here we are. Do you have one in your collection? Do you have a no-name? God, I wish. Nope, I've got the original there that has the name on it there, but yeah, haven't I had the luck of pulling one of those. Haven't had. I did have kind of an oddity though, because you know that elsewhere on that sheet there are other cards that are missing the black ink on it. I have one from, I believe it was from that sheet as well, that for some reason is missing a spot of like the yellow ink. Oh wow! It. It's like that's really weird. Did this happen? You know, in any other ways on that? I've tried to ask some of the experts out there, never heard anything back, but. Yeah, I don't know. So, I, no, I don't have any of those, but it's something I always keep an eye out for just in case I come across one of my collection that I completely missed that has, you know, the missing black ink on it or something. But yeah, when, you flip one, of course, it, the when most you're flipping obvious. through 1990 cards and you you see that, you always, it, it could it could pass somebody. Somebody could miss that yeah. easily. Especially well, another yeah, one that went, another one in this auction was a 1993 Upper Deck SP Derek Jeter rookie card. It was a PSA 10, and that it's a, um, it's got that that gloss to it right it's it's a really it's a tough card to find in 10 well um it went for two hundred and one thousand dollars. i don't do you have this card i don't have this card either i don't even like eights i know on that are selling in the thousands usually so yeah yeah a 10 would be ridiculous and yeah there it is it's a nice looking card mm-hmm. and lastly we got a mantle yeah mickey mantle of course i mean anytime that his name and the and the number 1952 comes up it's going to see some big money on there. This is an SGC five. So we're talking, you know, mid to low grade on this mantle there and it still went for $180,000. Yeah, it's very cool. We also in the Huggins and Scott auction, a 1998-99 Skybox premium star rubies, Michael Jordan, which got a Beckett 8.5, went for $159,990, which is pretty cool i know there's been talk about jordan cards losing some value recently uh, from the height and i think that you know i think it's gonna, the jordan's going to kind of le- level off don't you i think it will a little bit i mean it got crazy there when the whole uh, documentary thing came out when that was what like a year year and a half ago yeah it really peaked i mean even commons of his are going well i shouldn't say commons but base cards of his were going for you know five ten fifteen bucks or so ungraded and so yeah, it was definitely a spike right there. I think it's cooling off a bit, but still, I mean, nearly $160,000 there for that card. That's that's still pretty nice. That's pretty cool. We'll get some sad news to report. I just saw this on social media, and um, one of my favorite guys, Bill Campbell, who was a uh, fireman, a relief pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, and then he signed a huge contract with the Red Sox back in, I believe, 1977. 
right about there that time. And then he went on and played for the Phillies and Cubs and a bunch of other teams. Uh, he's in hospice, which is really sad. He's been a great signer uh, all through, through the time. As long as I've been doing TCM, he was an automatic, right, Drew? Yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, and like you said, I mean, the guy pitched, it seemed like forever. I remember him. I think he finished his career with the Tigers, if I remember right. Could be wrong. It seemed like, yeah, he pitched a year with the Tigers in there. So I remember him being there, finished out with the Expos there. But yeah, sad to hear that. I didn't know there was any illness going on there or anything like that. It sounds like it's a pretty sudden and quick onset there. Yeah, well, prayers go to him and his family, especially during the holiday season. That's tough. But we have some show news to let you know about. There's a lot of shows coming up. Excuse me. Uh, when we start the new year, uh, there's a show. Uh, it's called the New England Card Show. It's been going on for a couple of years now. It is Sunday, January 8th in Springfield, Massachusetts at the Mass Mutual Center. Robert Parrish is going to be one of the signers. There's going to be a trade night at the Hall of Fame, which should be very fun. You can go to NewEnglandCardShows.com, NewEnglandCardShow.com to get more information. That is Sunday, January 8th. Got one coming up down my area here, the Dallas Card Show. It's up in Allen, just north of Dallas. It'll be on January 12th through the 15th at the Marriott Dallas Allen Hotel and Convention Center. Uh, they usually have a bunch of autograph signers there, along with a very large room full of tables set up. Go and check out DallasCardShow.com. They'll have all the information you could need for it. This is a new one I, um, I hadn't heard about. It's called the New England Winter Extravaganza, and it's January 14th and 15th. They get tons of guys signing. A lot of hockey guys are going to be there, and Pete Alonzo from the Mets, Frank Thomas, the aforementioned Frank Thomas is going to be there, Bobby Bonilla, Glenn Anderson, and a lot, a bunch of his uh, Ranger teammates, George Gervin, who's the uh, NBA Hall of Famer from San Antonio Spurs. This is in Tarrytown, New York. Go to newyorkshows.org. January 14th through the 15th, the New York winter extravaganza. Well, further south of me, we've got the Houston Collectors Show coming up, one of the TriStar shows. Usually a pretty big one. Goes on February 3rd through the 5th. It'll be at NRG Arena. They've just added some uh, autograph guests to that as well. I know Jeff Bagwell is on the list, along with uh, several members of last year's Astros teams. I think Dr. J and Kevin McHale on the list there too. So go check it out at TriStarProductions.com. They'll have even more info than what we have here. Good night. A lot of new releases with the holidays coming up. Or we're in the middle of the holidays, right? But there's a lot of new releases. The 2022 Topps Chrome update is out. 200 cards set. Uh, boxes, hobby boxes are going between $150 and $175. That's the 2002 Topps Chrome updates. Got the uh, 2022 Bowman Draft Baseball coming out as well. You get uh, seven base chrome cards, two refractive parallels, three autos. A hobby jumbo box is going to run you about $435 on that. If you were waiting for the Upper Deck 2021-22 Clear Cut Hockey that was due out this week, it has been delayed, guys. It's going to be coming out now uh, the week of January 25th, and that's kind of par for the course for Upper Deck, right? They've been having they've been uh, having a tough time getting um, cards out, and we talked to Sal Barry about that. We'll talk to him. We'll hear from Sal in a few minutes. Uh, 2022 Tops Five Star Baseball. That's a hobby store exclusive, so I have to go down to your local shop to be able to get this one. One pack, two cards, it's going to run you about $300. The Donruss Optic UFC, that's the fighting, right? They're fighting yep. people, uh, UFC. There's um, 20 packs, four cards per pack. You get one auto. Those are going for about $170. I got a Panini Prism uh, offering coming out. This is for their racing set. You're going to see uh, it's a box of 12 packs, 12 cards, so 144 cards total. $120 on that one, so pretty, uh, pretty affordable offering right there. 
Yeah, I, you know what? I don't remember if there was autographs in there. I think I bet that you have a shot at getting some autographs as well. There probably are. Yeah, typically uh, the racing stuff will usually have a couple autos in there. I know I've pulled a couple of them here and there. So yeah, yeah and the racing guys are really good TTMing as well. So yes, that, that might be something for for somebody like Drew who likes to <laughs> to do everything to go after that one well guys we have the 2022 panini mosaic football you get 15 packs of 10 cards per pack two autos uh goes for about 350 dollars it's 2022 panini mosaic football for 350 bucks for a hobby box panini's a contenders optic basketball set for 2021 22 is out as well uh six cards one autograph 375 dollars for a box on that well, that wraps up Baker's Dozen. We have a lot to talk about this week with, with all the new releases and stuff. We're going to go right into uh, Corner Kicks from Clemente Luce. And now it's time for Corner Kicks with Clemente Luce. Goal! Well, Clemente had just landed uh, the day before from um, Qatar, and I got, him bright, I got him bright and early in the morning, and he was raring to go. Talk. We talked about the final, obviously the great final match. We talk about uh, being, he was in the stadium for the whole for the whole finals and semifinals, and he had you know we boots on the ground, right, Drew? We had yep. we had we had he was firsthand experience watching the game, and we talked about the crowd and uh, all, all the Argentina fans that were there. We also talk about some cool collectibles that he picked up, and we also talk about uh, Clemente actually went to the only sports card store in the middle east wow yeah isn't that cool so we bought some stuff from the the only sports card store in the middle east in qatar clemente was in the, in a mall and he saw the store and he went in there he talked to all the guys and uh maybe we'll we'll get we'll get those guys on because it'd be cool to talk to those guys so we went and we talked to him all about all about uh and then we also talked to him about the odds of um the the guy you know people's values the guys that values increase from the uh, from the World Cup, so please enjoy my interview with Clemente Lise in Corner Kicks. Guys, it's time for a little Corner Kicks with Clemente Lise. Clemente Lise, of course, is author of the brand new book, The FIFA World Cup: A History of the Planet's Biggest Sporting Events, which is available anywhere books are sold, including Amazon. But if you go on our website, ttmcast.com. Click on the link. You can save 30%. So make sure you do that. It's a great book. And with the World Cup finally in the book, so to speak, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, right? It, it's a, a really good uh, refresher of what, what what just happened and put in the uh, the game we just saw in perspective, which is really cool. So welcome, Clemente, and welcome back from Qatar. Hi, Jeff. Happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Hey, you know what? You and I spoke last week. Uh, before the finals and we were both excited right we we're like oh the two big hitters are up there they you know Messi and, and Mbappe and how are they gonna how are they gonna live up to the hype and they did it they did it yeah you know it never happens the hype the journalists build up the hype the fans build up the hype and then the game is always decent or good or sometimes bad and the hype is never lived up to this game lived up to the hype and then some um and, you know, is it the best uh, World Cup final of all time? I'd say probably. Is it the best sporting event of all time or the best soccer game of all time? I'm not ready to say that. But is it the greatest World Cup final? It is. And and, and then some. I mean, the action, the drama, it, it was an unbelievable game. And to be, you know, whether you're in the building like I was or you were watching from home, you know, over a billion people on the planet watched it, over 26 million Americans watched it. 
I think you can say it was a pretty exciting uh, game. And and probably, uh, you know, if it's your first soccer game ever, um, I, I can't guarantee yeah, you're all spoiled. <laughs> yeah, you're spoiled. Not every game is as good, but I mean, it capped off an amazing tournament. And and you're right, Messi and Mbappe lived up to the hype for sure. Yeah, I mean, they they couldn't have done anything more, right? The both of them. They both played their hearts out. They Their teammates played great. I thought Argentina was the better team. Watching the whole game, I thought they had a better game than France, but France, you know, had had that those two goals late that, that really brought it back. And then when they came back and scored an extra time, it was like, oh, my goodness, that was so exciting. And then with what, about like two minutes left, three minutes left, there had to be three or four shot chances from each team to, to get a goal. Yeah, you know, if someone told me on the eve of the game that Mbappe would score a hat trick and then France would lose the World Cup, I'd say, well, that's impossible. What would Messi need to do? And, you know, Messi finally delivered. He, he, you know, they were saying it's destiny for him to win the World Cup. I don't believe it's destiny for anyone to win anything. You have to earn it. And Messi earned it. And, you know, is he the greatest player of all time now? I, I'd say yes. My, my ranking before the World Cup was Maradona, uh, Pelé, you know, and then on and on, you know, I have to say now that I think Messi has surpassed Maradona, but I think Mbappe has surpassed Pelé even because he's only 23 years old. Mbappe, he's the future of the sport. Will he will be the goat one day, 10 years from now, this France team is amazing. At that point, you know, when they were down two zero, they were playing their third string guys because, you know, the coach did something really gutsy for the end of the first half, which is he took off two really good players, Giroud and, them yeah, play. I know. And Giroud had what, like six or seven goals. He's right, but he had done nothing. You know, France didn't show up for this game, and the first half was terrible. And the truth is, for eighty minutes, they didn't do anything. And Mbappe scoring two goals in two minutes near the end of the game showed you how Argentina was unable to sort of hold on to the moment. They'd done this before in the World Cup, I guess, the Netherlands, right? They were winning two zero, and I thought, oh, here, here we go again. Mbappe could have scored the winner. He could have made it four three in extra time, which would have been amazing. Um, the truth is both these teams deserved it, if possible. But I think Argentina did that little bit extra to earn it. Messi scored two goals. He scored in every game in the knockout stage. He's the MVP of the tournament. He is the greatest of all time. And it was just fun for everyone to see. And you know what's funny? Is, and I've heard people after the fact saying that, you know, the World Cup was determined by a by a penalty kicks. But I thought that was the perfect way to end it. It really was. It, it was almost too bad that they uh, they just couldn't go take five. All each Mbappe and Messi each take five penalty kicks, and let yeah. let let's see who wins it there. Let's not underestimate the fact that Mbappe scored two penalty kicks in the game and one in the shootout, and he the goalie couldn't guess on all three of his kicks. Right? I know, not even close, not even close. So Mbappe was you know, and even the Messi penalty kick, the way he slow rolled it in, I thought, you know, if there was a, a way to save that, the goalie could have gone for it. I mean. Having been in the building, it was pretty electric. I will say that it was 90% Argentina fans, but the place got really quiet when it was 2-2. And then, of course, when Argentina won at the end, it was the loudest I've ever been in any building ever in my life. It was. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because from watching it on TV, that seemed like it was a really loud stadium. Yeah, the way the, the Lucille Stadium holds the sound is amazing. The same way for the semifinal, but this obviously... The, just the the screaming that went on and the, the it was just a loud roar. I was sitting in a part of the press section with a bunch of French journalists, so it was pretty quiet where I was standing, uh, where I was sitting. But it, it was extraordinary. And you know, some Argentine fans had traveled a week before. Some of them had been there the whole month. Some of them had spent thousands of dollars, so the payoff for them was huge. And they were dancing into the night. So it was, you know, the, you know, and people don't realize that Messi has fans all over the world. 
you know, there are people there from all over Asia, all over Europe, all over North America, especially from, from New York, who I traveled there that are big Argentina fans. And they, you know, they, they got repaid, you know, and um, I think Messi at the end was, you know, not even overcome with emotion. I think he was so just, he was smiling. Like it was another day at the office, Yeah, but, you know, I think it was just sort of the, 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 the end of, of, of his career though it's not the end yet, but it's 35 years old to accomplish this. The one trophy he was missing, it kind of was like a Hollywood ending. If, actually, if someone scripted this, they would say they would reject it because it would be too unbelievable. So Right. It was such, so corny and it was so right spot on, right? Did right. you get access to any of the players after? Or was that uh, very difficult? Yeah, so they had the press conference. I was in there for that and Messi gave a press conference there and, you know, it was, it was you know, there was a lot of buzz. There's a lot of noise in the in the, in the the hallways and with the dressing rooms. Like I mentioned, FIFA doesn't let people in the dressing room, but you can talk to the players outside. It was really hard to get a hold of the players to be interviewed because some of them had obligations to Argentine TV and it was just so loud. I mean, at one point, the players were all just singing and dancing in the hallway, running up and down. You know, I try to make my way, you know, having covered many sporting events, especially soccer games, I like to make my way to the losers dressing area because I, I feel like that's where the better stories may be. Sure. And the players were really glum and they didn't want to talk. And, you know, I, I haven't heard that much from the French camp. I did see a quote just the other day that Mbappe apparently gave a really impassioned um, speech at halftime where, he, you know, where he said, guys, we're in a World Cup final. It only happens every four years. Let's go do this. And And let's be honest, he put them on his back. And got them to where, you know, it was the first time ever that I saw a game where I thought, wow, you know, the losers, like, you know, kudos to the losers. These guys really. Yeah, they both they really both played their hearts out. And what I was um, amazed at and I really appreciated was Mbappe's, uh, I guess it's called dribbling, right? Going going in back and forth and trying to trying to get through uh, defenders. His feet are so quick and he he. You know, he had that one play near the end. He dribbled through like three players, and I thought he was going to get the goal, and it just missed. No, it was funny because at the, you know, I couldn't see the ceremony from where I was sitting, and you know, he ended up top scoring Mbappe, and he had to give him the trophy. And he had to sit, he had to stand there and pose for a photo, you know, and he had no expression on his face. Even the French Prime Minister Macron was trying to console him, but the truth is, Mbappe didn't need to console him. I think Mbappe is thinking, I'm 23. He just turned 24 the next day. I'll be back here. He's already got more goals in a World Cup final than like Pelé and a bunch of other players. So he's he's on his way really to achieve greatness. And Messi, of course, finally has achieved it. You know, it took it took a a, a strong supporting cast. Argentina has a really good team. You know, um, and Messi said he was this is his last World Cup game. He says he's going to continue to play for the national team, but I don't think he'll be around at age thirty nine. So this might have been I'm on the world stage. Um, in two years, there's a Copa America, which is a South American championship. Messi probably will play in that. They won that last year, Argentina did. Um, we'll see how much longer his career goes. The interesting part that people haven't really been talking about is that now Messi and Mbappe travel back to France. They both play for the same team, PSG. Do so they really? They play together on the same club team with Neymar. It'll be interesting to see if together they can win, you know, a European trophy for PSG, um, which would be sort of an amazing achievement for both Mbappe and Messi now, if they can join forces together. Uh, and maybe create the greatest club team of all time. Uh, we'll see what happens. What was nice, and we talked about this last week as well, is that I don't think the referees played any part in this. I think the pen- the penalties were fair penalties. I don't think they were. Uh, I don't think they were tilting one way or the other. And I think it was a they the, the referees c- should be commended for refereeing a fair match. I agree. The only thing maybe the first penalty on a, a Messi was a little soft, but it was a penalty. You could give it. 
And you're right. He did not interject himself to the point where, you know, he swayed the game. He Those two penalties. Right. And I mean, Clemente, they really let them play in that that extra time. They really did. They yes. there were some penalties that could have been called if they if they were, uh, you know, if they were on the take. And I'm using that jokingly, right. obviously. Right, right. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, and soccer fans are always very paranoid about that. And, you know, they are, they're always looking at the nationality of the referees. Like, all oh, the referees, this one was from Poland. So it was like, oh, is there any anything going on there? Of course there isn't. You know, and the referees have reputations they want to uphold, obviously. And, and refereeing a World Cup final is a huge achievement for a referee. It could have been anybody could have refereed that game of you know, the remaining referees. And so to pick this one, you're right. I think the best thing to do is to let them play. I mean, early on, he, he did whistle, whistle a lot to tell the players, look, I'm in charge here. Relax. But then as the game flowed, I think there was a lot. I mean, Argentina, they dominated for long stretches. They really did. They they were much they were the much better team that day. Right. On the tournament, I think France was a better team. I, you know, I saw I saw probably four or five Argentina games and, and probably six or seven France games and I thought France was a uh, was a better team all around. Yeah, no, going forward I think France will be a team that's going to be hard to beat because so many of their players are young. I mean, at one point late in the game, they had their third string players. Let's not forget that a bunch of players were injured on the eve of the tournament. Right. Let's not forget that on the eve of the game. Like and they got sick, right? Didn't yeah, a couple of guys got the get flu. Sick? Yeah, three of them got the flu right on the eve of the game. And then when they subbed out Giroud and Dembele, then all you have now is like third string guys. But they played their hearts out and, you know, kudos to them. And the fact that Argentina can't hold on to a lead is, is kind of a scary thing. I guess it heightened the drama for all of us, but it was an unbelievable game. Just the adjectives to describe the game are just, I don't know what they are. They're epic, incredible, unbelievable. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It was truly, I'm glad that it was a great final because sometimes, like I said, finals are really terrible. The other thing that's dangerous is in soccer, a 2-0 lead is kind of the most dangerous lead you could have. This happened with Argentina was winning 2-0 against Netherlands and they tied it. They right, because you sit back and you're like, oh, I can breathe. Yeah, they were winning 2-0 against Mexico and then they scored a third. If Argentina scored a, a third, the game would have been over. Actually, it's funny because there was maybe in the in the 75th minute, there were some French fans or a few that were there. They were starting to leave. So imagine I that. <laughs> I don't think it's one of those games where like people had to, you know, kind of had to run back in, like they're on the highway, had to come back. It wasn't like that, but close. If if those two goals hadn't had come much, you know, later, there might have been people who would have left already because like I said, the stadium was mostly, mostly Argentina fans. How was the the scene out on the street after? Was there it was a, a controlled celebration, so to speak? And yeah. you know, you know, in the U.S., a, a lot of times when when a team wins the championship, there's you know there's rioting they, they, in right. the city that wins, and there's there's problems. How was the how was the the crowds around the I stadium mean, after? Lots of lots of police all over all over Qatar and Doha, especially lots of police. They were smart to put police in the stadiums, but the cops in the stadiums didn't have guns. I think the point of that was to make sure that. They didn't want to create a hostile environment. The The crowd was really controlled. I was, aside from being there, I was, I was watching social media and it seemed like the crowds in Buenos Aires were the ones that were like out of control, not in a bad way, but they were pouring in the streets. I mean, the next day, 4 million people showed up in the Capitol for the celebration. I mean, that's amazing. But there at the stadium itself was very contained and people stayed in the stadium for a long time. I mean, I left the stadium about an hour and a half after the game was over and there were people still mulling still about. There. I mean, they, they, the Argentina fans, especially the ones behind the goal where they scored the winning penalty kick, those fans were singing and dancing the whole game. They only got quiet when it was 2-2. But they stayed for a long time. I think they wanted to soak it all in. And, and Messi and his teammates were on the field for a big chunk of time um, celebrating and running around with the trophy and then just, you know, enjoying themselves. 
What surprised you most about the the final? Now you've been to a, a few of them. What surprised you most? This is my fourth final, final. My fourth final in person, and I've been watching the World Cup finals in 1982. This one was just. I, I thought it capped off an amazing tournament. Same thing happened four years ago, but the final four years ago was four to two for France against Croatia. It was really a close game in the first half. I just couldn't believe the back and forth, which I really enjoyed, and how much two players, Messi and Mbappe, really exerted themselves. It basically, you know. They asked the coach, the Argentina coach, the day before I was at the press conference, you know, what do you think of this whole Messi and Mbappe thing? And he said, look, this is a team sport. You know, we're not worried about one player and they shouldn't be worried about one player either. But the truth is, it really was one on one. And it was the first time a game, I think, ever in my life that I saw a game where it felt like it felt like a, a pickup game in the park where you're playing against your friends and it's like 4-4, some crazy score where you're going back and forth. That doesn't happen in, in professional soccer because teams are much more uh, uh, disciplined and controlled and no one's giving up as many goals. But the truth is they could have been more goals. Both goalies were all, all over the place. And like I said, Mbappe could have been 4-3 in extra time, which would have been a stake in the heart for the Argentines. And we've been talking about a totally different game now, but I think even neutrals were happy for Messi. And that's really ultimately what I think people were happy with the result. No, as a fan, just watching on TV, you know, sometimes you watch a game and it seems like there's no one out there. You know what I mean? There's just so much space, but this game seemed like there was like 25 guys on each team because there was no room to do anything, you know? Right. I think at the end, yeah, it was, it was just the ball was bouncing all over the place. It looked like a, like a, a pinball for a while, especially in the box, the way the ball was mo- moving around. And you're right. Every time somebody had a ball, there were two guys on that player there. You know, I think they were fighting for every ball, especially when it was in the extra time when they, I think basically extra time was a whole new game. It was like, okay, it's zero, zero again, guys, let's do this. Oh, I know. I love the extra time. I thought that was so, so entertaining. There was, a, there was a time when FIFA instituted the golden goal, which basically was sudden death. And if Messi had scored that goal and was sudden death, the game would be over. I'm actually kind of glad that soccer plays out the 30 minutes because it makes it forces you to defend that lead in the extra time, which Argentina. Yeah, could- right. And he scored really early in the overtime, right. so it, it you know it's not in like hockey if they score in the overtime, it's done. The game's over. over. Right, and it would have been like a great way to fit. It's exciting to end it that way, but I, World Cup games have ended that way. And it's not as, I think this is much better. It's almost a little bit like in college football where both sides have to get a conversion. I think the same thing. Let's give France a chance to to tie this up. And, you know, just how cool Mbappe is in the penalty kicks. I mean, I couldn't believe that he scored two of them. And then again, in the extra t- in, the, in the in the shootout, he put three against the same goalie. You know, I, I, people might be wondering, you're talking about Mbappe a lot, not Messi. Look, there's a lot to talk about Messi. Messi is an incredible player. He finally lived up to the hype of a 20-year career. But I left that game thinking, wow, Mbappe is a feature of the sport. He's nothing to be ashamed of at all. And I do think that, you know, we witnessed the historic moment and it was it was a lot of fun. Did you pick up any more uh, stickers at McDonald's or any other collectibles? So, yeah. So Saturday was the day where I thought, okay, there's a third place game tonight. Third place game doesn't mean much. Kudos to Croatia for winning that game two to one against Morocco. Morocco, kudos to them. They finished fourth, which is impressive. Um, A lot of Morocco fans there, obviously. Um, and you know, kudos to both teams for actually starting their regulars. They, they, they treat it like a real game. And in the first half it was, you know, and Croatia won two to one. So that day I thought, okay, I have time to go to this game. I don't need to show up early. So I went to this mall of Qatar, which is, I think their biggest mall. It puts every American mall I've ever been to, to shame. <laughs> um, they must have like hundreds of stores. They had a huge McDonald's there. I ended up buying more of these. I, ah, I, nice. I ended up buying 20 of these now. Oh, good. I will open one of them on air, but. More importantly, 
I, I, you know, people don't, people don't know geography that well. Qatar is in the middle of a desert, basically. It was 80 degrees. So you must know how much shock I'm in. New York is like 40 degrees today. But I'm walking around the mall. You know, there's a couple of Adidas stores, a Nike store, lots of merchandise and paraphernalia. I bought a bunch of stuff for my kids for Christmas. But what do I, I come across a store called Sports Cards Gallery? I thought oh. it was a, I thought it was a mirage. You must have been like cards. I, can't so I went in there and I said the, the two guys working there were from the Philippines. I said, this is a sports card store. And they were like, yes, they're like, we're the only one in the Middle East. And I thought, wow. And they had Pokemon, of course, and they had a lot of basketball. But I ended up buying a Panini Prism. Nice box. I did not open it yet. Um, I won't say how much I paid. I paid three times the price I should have paid for it. Had I bought it online, but I want to support the store. I love, you know, LCSs. This, of course, is no one's local LCS. <laughs> but I was in there for a while with these guys just talking about sports cards and sports card market and how it's growing in Asia and the Middle East. And while I was there, a lot of English and Australian tourists walked in. They didn't know what to buy. So I was telling them, hey, you should buy Prism. And the guys in the store were thanking me for like, they were like, you know what you're talking about, you know. And so it was kind of fun to be in a, in a, in a sports card store in a foreign country and if they're telling me the truth, it's the only one in the Middle East, which is pretty extraordinary, I thought. And it was cool to actually come across a sports card store in a foreign country. You don't see too many of them. I know there's a few in Japan and Europe, um, but it's really a North American thing and not so much a, a, a global thing. That's very neat. All right. Now we're going to get a little I'm stock report. Yeah. Oh, me, open first? I promised to open one of these. So so there's there's a there's a, an eight card base set on these. Um, and then the rest of the cards look a little different than the ones, for example, we would see normally in in North America, where these would, I got a Neymar, this one has no border on it. The oh, Euro nice. European ones have no borders. The, the American ones have different color borders, right? Um, so all the European ones look, and South American ones look like this, just one color in the back. So I picked up Neymar. Now, these, this is what I really was looking for. Three in one, three in one box of, so I, I'm three into eight. I need to get eight for the special set. Oh, cool. That includes Di Maria, um, Declan Rice of England. Yeah, he's good. And uh, son of um, uh, South Korea. He also South plays, Korea, yeah. He also plays for Tottenham in the Premier League, which, by the way, for those of you who are in soccer withdrawal, the Premier League starts up again on December 26th. So no rest for the weary. Soccer will be back in a week. Um, okay, stock report. Who's up? Who's down? So... Um, we never talked about this, but I picked up this card a couple of months ago. It's it's the 2004 Mundi Chromo Liga, Lionel Messi. This would be basically his rookie card. Now, nice. Now, this is like the equivalent of like Jordan's star rookie. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. So his Panini rookie card from 20 years ago probably goes for, in mint, goes for $10,000. By the way... His Panini Prism from this year's set was going for $300 the day after the final. I wish I could tell the people that bought it that there's probably like 2 million of those cards, but it didn't matter. That card is like a $10 card that's now $300. I'm sure the price will go down. Yeah. I paid about $250 for about a year ago. This was going now for $1,000. Wow. Of the hype with Messi. And look, if you can buy anything Messi parallels from any year, especially an Argentina jersey, I would buy that. Okay. Um, the other one that I would highly recommend, and his market was soft for a while, and of course it's gone up again, is Mbappe. Whether you buy the sticker or you buy his rookie. Now, this is from this year's sticker set. This is the blue border. I like the blue border because the French national team is blue. So I like the yeah, blue. Yeah, that's a nice card. If you can pick up his 
sticker from this year. I think anything from this year that's Messi um, and Mbappe this year in their national team jerseys is amazing because of the final they had. And then just the one rookie, I think I would, I, I, I mentioned Cody Gakpo of the Netherlands a couple of weeks ago. Um, the one that I think people should pick up is in this year's Panini Prism set is the Julian Alvarez. Now he didn't do much in the final, but he scored a ton of goals in this tournament. And this is his rookie card. And it's funny. If you look on social media, there's a photo about 10 years ago of a 10-year-old Julian Alvarez posing with Messi. Oh, that's cool. And so now, you know, he took a picture with Messi, his idol, and now 10 years later, he's scoring goals alongside the guy at the World Cup. So if you can pick up a Julian Alvarez, this card is a like a $2,000 card that now is going for $10, $15 on, on eBay. So I pick those up now before the price goes up. And, you know, I get the base set. I want to get the base set. That's my goal. But if you can pick up a couple of rookies from this year's Panini Prism set, I would definitely do that. And I know, of course, I got the blaster box. I'll probably open on Christmas with my kids, and we'll see what else I pull out of there. So, Valente, how about the guy from? For, forgive me, because I can't remember his name, but the guy from Croatia, um, that he's, oh, he's Gavardol, the the defender. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's a good player. He's his his rookie. I think is also in this year's Prism set. Um, his sticker is going for you know ten dollars because he had a good tournament. I think he was named the best young player of the tournament. And I think he scored a goal. He's the youngest Croatia player ever scored a goal. He scored in the third place game, actually. So yeah, I was I was in at Walmart yesterday, and they had plenty of um, sticker books, but no stickers. Yeah, same thing in Qatar. Everywhere I went, sticker books everywhere, even at the card store, but no stickers. The only place you get the stickers was at McDonald's, and for about two dollars US, you can you can buy uh you know uh the stickers. But the way it worked in Qatar was you bought a meal. It didn't come with your meal. You could just go to the McDonald's and buy stickers if you wanted to. I mean, yeah. so I would buy every time I would go to a mall, I would go to a McDonald's, get like, you know, a Big Mac and then get like five sticker packs for $2, for about $1.50 a pack, which wasn't bad. Because um, my goal was to get this sort of this eight card set, which now, as you, as you know, as you saw on air here, I got three of the eight already. I thought 20 packs would get me there. I thought maybe each pack would have one. And I think the duplicates I'll probably end up selling on eBay because uh, the sets are going for on eBay for about $80 and they're all coming from the Middle East. Right. Qatar, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, because that's the only place you can get them. So that was kind of the fun part to be able to, to pick these things up. Um, the other thing I picked up at the game was I picked up um, uh, the, a Coca-Cola cup that said final on it. I had the one from four years ago. So if you bought a Coke at the concession stand, you would also get this plastic cup. And I got that too, which be a great reminder a memento from this final game and people might know this people listening might know this but uh there's a big market for coca-cola collectibles yep um and so if, if you have coca-cola plus a sporting event it's always a bigger deal so uh i think this plastic cup i got is you know probably not worth much but it, it'll be fun to hold on to and maybe have some value in the future very cool well clemente lise we're talking to he was in qatar last week he's home he was the, at the finals he saw a bunch of games semifinal game as well and he has written a book called the fifa world cup it's a history of the planet's biggest sporting event is clemente lise l-i-s-i if you go on amazon or any place books are sold you can find it also if you go on our website ttmcast.com you click on the the link there you can get save 30 percent off clemente's book so Please check it out. It's a it's a great book. How's the book doing? Have you gotten any sales numbers uh, yet? Yeah, so I, I got a few sales numbers from my publisher. I'm not sure how much they um, 
they uh, they've sold. I get a report every quarter from them, but uh, just in the last ten days, I sold five hundred copies on Amazon, which I was nice. thrilled with to the point where Amazon ran out of its allotment. And if you go on Amazon now, it says you'll get it by December twenty eighth. You can't get it by Christmas, so if you miss out on the Christmas present, it's too late now. But you can always get it at, at Roman.com, and you'll probably get it in a week. Um, so um, yeah, I guess they have to print some more, which is great. And uh, you know, I, I it was when the iron was hot, when the World Cup was going on, people were really interested in it. But like I said, if you haven't gotten the book, and you kind of got really into the World Cup this time around, and you you know, there's been a uh, you know 92 years of history prior to this one world one World Cup. So if you really want to go back and read about past finals, compare them yourself to this one, get the book, read about the past and you know in four years from now the world cup comes to north america it'll be hosted by the united states mexico and canada so the world cup comes comes to our backyard and uh between now and then plenty of soccer to watch of course i know you got you have three and a half years to write a new book right uh yes <laughs> <laughs> no, you know it's funny it took two years to write that book and it was a labor of love but it was a lot of work and so the idea of writing another book is just sort of a daunting thing but um you, you never know yeah, no, I might be good, at, and I'm not trying to throw ideas at your head, but to focus on, because there's so many, so much stuff and controversial things that I wanted to learn more about, but just because of the size of the book, you just couldn't dive, dive too deep into it. Maybe right. you just pick out the 10 most controversial World Cup moments and really dive into it. And, Funny. you know, I, I like, I, oh, I want to know what happened to that guy that 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 missed that goal or the guy that that was in the, the in net and was supposed to block it or, you know, I, I like I was into that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. My, you know, the wheels in my head are turning. They've been turning the whole tournament and even now post tournament. Like, is there a book? Can I do a deep dive on one particular thing or 10 particular things? And, and so stay tuned you never know they could be another book in me um but uh yeah you know the storylines there's so many and you're right one chapter of that book could have been its own book for sure oh yeah yeah and i mean i don't know if i told you this or your listeners but i was 100 pages over they had to cut 100 pages out of that book and so that's probably what that left you yearning for more and so i have to at some point probably go back and say okay which stories do i want to do what i want to revisit and, and maybe some of them will include this World Cup, which obviously this chapter hasn't been written yet. It just happened. So, like I said, we'll see. Are you? Do you have any book signings coming up? You, any local book signings or any uh, no, nothing, nothing going on. No, no. I did all that in the ramp up. I think I'll, you know, I think now the holidays are here. It's time for some family and friends. It's time to relax. It's been, you know, it's always a crazy time of year. But to have the World Cup happening during the crazy time made it even worse. I got to tell you the truth. I'm exhausted I'm <laughs> happy to be home and to be, you know, finally Christmas is, is only a couple of days away, which is crazy because you never see the World Cup and Christmas at the same time. That was the other thing about being in Qatar. It's a majority Muslim nation. There was not one Christmas decoration anywhere I went and it was 80 degrees out. So it felt like I was July to me. To me, it was July. It was like I went to a time warp and then I came back and it was December and it was cold and it was Christmas. So um, I have to just get readjusted. But, you know, I just want to take a couple of, you know, two weeks off. And then, you know, come January, it's a new year and we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Awesome. Clemente Lise, check out his book, the FIFA world cup, a history of the planet's biggest sporting events, anywhere books are sold, including Amazon, or you can check out our website, dtmcast.com. Click on the link. Clemente has been uh, awesome to talk to you about soccer and hopefully we can bring you back next month to talk a little hockey. Yeah, we can talk a little hockey, a little baseball. We'll talk some soccer. You know, we'll we'll, we'll do it again. I just want to wish you uh, uh, and Drew a happy holidays. And I hope to see both of you on here in the new year. 
Same here. And enjoy the time with your family. Breathe. You can breathe now, right? Yes. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to watch TV 24 seven. And <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's something, you know, it's a lot of fun, but it's also, it's work. And right. so, it's all uh, encompassing the labor of love though. I love it. And, you know, I think we all got repaid. At least I got repaid with a beautiful final. That was a dream game and you couldn't hope for anything better than that. So. All right, pal, you have a good holiday and uh, we will talk to you next month. Thank you. All right, thanks. Well, Clemente is great. We're going to have Clemente on, I think, once a month to talk a little hockey because he's a real big hockey guy. And we'll still, still talk a little uh, World Cup and soccer with him because, uh, you know, World Cup's not for four years now, but there's also people collect uh, soccer cards and stock, soccer collectibles. But we're going to have Clemente on every month, once a month to talk about stuff. So I'm very happy about that. Drew, what time is it? Time for some fast-forward football. Time to hit that button. Fast-forward football, guys. Drew and I are making our picks right now. Hit fast-forward right now. I don't want... I hate this segment. <laughs> I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Yep. What do we have? Three more weeks left? Two more weeks? What do we got left, Drew? I think so. Yeah, this was... We just fast passed the set, uh, week 15. So, yeah, 16, 17, 18. Three more weeks now. All right, good. That's it. We're not we're not doing it <laughs> anymore after the regular season. Well, I went 1-3-1. and one. Drew went 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. We both suck. Drew <laughs> leads in leads in the standing. He has clinched it. I can't I can't catch him. It's 4-8-3 and three for me. 8-4-3 for Drew. Uh, let's pick the the games this week. Get it out. Put everyone out of their misery. Uh, Drew, first game, the New Orleans Saints are playing at your Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are giving two and a half points. What do you like? I'm going to take the Browns in this one. I mean, the Saints are just so unpredictable, it seems like. I mean, the Browns are too, but I'll go ahead and have faith in my team. All right, I'll take the Saints. Next, the Cincinnati Bengals at the New England Patriots. The Patriots are getting three points. After last week's fiasco against Las Vegas, uh, I am I'm never going to take the Patriots ever again. I'm taking the Bengals. All right. Yeah, I, uh, the Bengals have been so unpredictable. The Pats have been so unpredictable. I'm gonna I'll take the Pats. I'll go I'll go opposite this one. I mean, knowing my luck in picking Patriots games, that's basically handing you a game right there. I think. But... All right, we have the Eagles at the Cowboys. The Cowboys are giving. Four and a half points, right? They, they're giving four and a half points because the Eagles don't have a quarterback, yeah. right? Because Jalen Hurts, I don't think, is playing. Um, I think the Eagles are going to come out and play. I really do. I'm going right. to take the Eagles. I'll go with the Cowboys in this one. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I think Hurts is losing Hurts is just going to be too big of a loss for them to overcome easily. Yeah, who they got uh, Gardner Minshew is going to is going to play. Ooh, the stash is playing. That's, oh, God, I may have to rethink that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? We have Tom Brady and the Tempe Buccaneers are at the Phoenix Cardinals. The Phoenix Cardinals are getting six and a half points. What do you like? I'm going to take the Bucks in there. I'm probably going to regret that, but it's just, I mean, it's the Cardinals. They're just, I just, no, I don't like them. All right, I'll take the cards just so we go on the other side of the the coin on that one and lastly we have the la chargers at the indianapolis colts i think they're two fairly even teams really the colts are getting four and a half points drew who do you like i'll go with the chargers in this one i just uh yeah i just the colts have just been so unimpressive to me and especially after blowing it against the vikings last week yeah they're not the colts have benched Matt ryan so i'm gonna I'll, i'll go with the colts okay all right, come on back, guys. Come on back. Football's over. 
fast forward football is over. Next up, we're going to talk a little hockey. A little hockey with our friend Sal Barry. Sal Barry from Puck Junk. He is a, a podcaster. He's a writer. He is uh, knows more about uh, hockey and hockey cards than I think just about anywhere in the world. Right, Drew? And he he's yeah. fun to talk to. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, Drew knows everything. I'm like, no, no, I don't. Shut up. Sal is the guy to go to. Sal's fun to interview because all you do is you go, Sal, what do you think of the the uh, Calgary Flames? And he'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, there are, there are, you know, like 20 guys in the Flames. You got to watch out for this rookie. And yep. we have fun. It's like, yeah, what, what what do you what do you like and dislike about the 1989-90 St. Louis Blues Kodak team set? And he could probably do like a 10 minute soliloquy. on. Oh, yeah. Set. He'll be like card number one was still apps. And he, he was <laughs> yes. great. Yep. Yep. He's the man. So please enjoy our uh, our time with Sal Barry. Drew and I both were there for the for this interview. We were we recorded it um, last Saturday. So um, it's pretty it's it's very timely. So enjoy our time with Sal Barry from Puck Junk. And now it's time for Collector's Corner. Let's hear from our collector this week. All right, guys, it's time to talk a little puck. We're going to talk hockey with Sal Barry from Puck Junk. Puck Junk is, of course, a great podcast. If there's anyone on the planet that knows more about hockey collectibles, I don't know. It's Pat Sal Barry. He knows more than anyone than anyone I know. So we're going to talk a little hockey collectibles and hockey with, with Sal Barry from Puck Junk. Welcome, Sal. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, we, lo- we love talking hockey. Drew and I could talk hockey all day, but we don't know as much as you, so that's why we brought your board. You know, Sal, there's so much um, new stuff out from Upper Deck. You know, there's this Upper Deck SP game used that just came out. Uh, what do you recommend uh, us novice hockey collectors collect uh, in terms of the best investment value, in terms of best of future value? Well, you know, let's sort through the junk and the not junk of, of, of Upper Deck releases. So what I uh, what I seem to find is that the cards that people gravitate towards are uh, there's three types of rookie cards that I find that uh, a lot of like novice hockey collectors gravitate to, as well as the hardcore hockey collectors. Those are the upper deck young guns. Those are the um, SP authentic future watch autographs. And then those are the cup rookies. And of course the cup rookies, that's the very high end set. That's probably about, it's probably like $900 a box now, but I remember when it was, $500 $500 a box and that seemed uh, unobtainable for me, you know, for, you know, $500 for five cards, but one of them is a rookie card with an autograph and a piece of a Jersey patch on it. Right. So that was, you know, that was part of the, um, the incentive to want to buy that set is that you had that. That's basically the super high end upper deck hockey set. And as of this recording, we still haven't seen the cup from 2021 and here we are we're in, we're in the midst of uh 22 23 right, right. Well, so, upper decks had problems getting uh releases out right that's been a big thing for upper deck lately so i talked with upper deck uh extensively uh maybe about uh a year back for an article that was actually published in the summer so even though i, I talked to them about a year ago i had this big article published in the hockey news called hockey card comeback and Upper Deck explained to me the problems that they were having. And they said part of the problem was that they couldn't have people do quality assurance because of the COVID restrictions. So this would have been like 2021 
So that's why there was a lot of problems with 2021 uh, uh, card releases. You also have like a lot of these, uh, the, the printing places, I guess, like Tops and Panini also uses them. So it was also scheduling when they could get their cards printed. And then also I read in a Sports Illustrated article that the rapid COVID tests used the same card stock as trading cards, which was another reason why it took uh, a long time for cards to come out or why cards were in sh maybe shorter supply or not coming out as, as fast as we wanted them to. Like, you know, to go back to 2021, the Upper Deck Series 1 for that didn't come out till like, well, that came out at like the end of the year, but then Series 2 didn't come out until like the, the early summer, if I remember correctly. I mean, by then, um, yeah, it was like early summer, if I believe, or late, late spring. And then, and then, the and then you have pro problems with guys and not in the right uniforms and, and guys well, that are tired. And <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing is that like, you're going to get that with any set, especially since they have lead times that are so far back now. Um, so what happens is, is that you have a guy who like changes teams, but they might be printing those cards in like the summer and packaging them and, and getting them ready. And then, by the time the fall rolls around, either that guy's been traded or he signed as a free agent with another team. And this is more and more of a problem, especially in hockey, because, you know, as when we grew up and I'm not hundred percent sure what it was like in other sports, but I, I think it was probably similar, but the free agency rules were very restrictive for hockey players. So you had guys that pretty much spent their whole lives with one team or their whole career with one team. And then maybe they'd get traded and then, you know, or, or, or sign as a free agent. And then you'd get like those awful tops and OPG cards where they'd airbrush the player into like a different uniform. <laughs> um, yep. Like when uh, Boreas Salming, rest in peace, you know, just passed away his um, 8990 OPG card. He's airbrushed in a Red Wings uniform and they put so much like reflective glare on his helmet. Like, to, to make it look like the lights are hitting his helmet, but it looks ridiculous. It looks like he has a UFO on his head. <laughs> With no disrespect to the Hall of Famer, but that was just not a great card. I mean, it's 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 so bad. It's it's awesome. In fact, if you go to my website, puckjunk.com, I have this series that I do every year called the Bad Hockey Card Hall of Fame. And that's one of the cards in the Hall of Fame, my Bad Hockey Card Hall of Fame. Do you think the um, the the flagship upper deck sets that are, are really the one that people should concentrate on in terms of collecting? Is that that kind of a safe bet? I well, the reason why I like upper deck series one, series two, and now extended series is that you have a very good um, not collection, a very good selection of players, and you know it's not the most comprehensive set. OPG has more base cards. Well, probably not so much anymore now that Upper Deck is coming out in three sets, but um, it usually has a really good group of rookie cards where, uh, you know, you get 49 rookies in a checklist in Series 1, rookie uh, Young Guns checklist. So basically you get like 50 rookies, 50 rookies, and then 30 to 50 rookies in the update or extended series. So it, it has a pretty wide um array of rookies and it us they usually always get the big ones in there there's nobody that they ever skimp out on if if somebody doesn't get a young gun it might be a guy who gets called up for the end of the season 
And then before the next season even starts, maybe his contract expires or maybe he goes back to Europe or whatever. But you do get that sometimes with Upper Deck Series 1. I call them leftover rookies. They call them holdover rookies. I call them leftovers, like leftover <laughs> food, right? Like sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Like you look at like Upper Deck Series 1 this year, right? And uh, they always like card number 201 that's always usually like the who they slot for like the best rookie, like they did that, you know, one year it was um, Connor McDavid was card number 201. So that's kind of like the, the the best guy they, they try to put in, or Alexei Lafreniere in 2021 series one, he was card number 201. So uh, Matt Boldy is, is card number 201 this year, but he was actually a rookie last year. But he, you know, because of the way the rules are is that if the player appears after a certain time, sometimes it's the all-star game. So usually it's the all-star game. Sometimes it's a winter classic. It just depends on what the NHL and the NHLPA and upper deck agree on, or really the players association and upper deck. Uh, so sometimes you get um, a good leftover and sometimes you get bad leftover. So in the case of Matt Boldy, I mean, he's doing really well for himself this season, but um, he, he has a rookie card this year and um actually i picked up one in a trade because i was just like hey i know who that guy is and he's doing pretty good but he's not going to win rookie of the year because he didn't play enough games last year to be significant enough to be rookie of the year and in this year he might have a killer season but he was a rookie last year but his rookie card is this year and that's where it gets a little confusing too is that you have guys who are rookies this year but their rookie cards are from like last season. Yeah, it's really difficult. So Drew and I, if we buy a, a box of upper deck, a hobby box or a blaster box, they go for about what, 20 bucks, right? What, 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 should, we, what should we look for? What, what cards get, would get excited if we, when we were opening up our, our uh, upper deck blaster box? Okay, so <laughs> to me, blaster boxes are the empty calories of of cards because you know <laughs> well, yeah, they're but, like. But 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 Sal, that's in our our uh, budget. That's that's right in our budget. Yeah, and I, I've 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 kicked that around. So this is what I recommend actually. If you're going to spend twenty bucks on a blaster, just spend forty bucks and get a mega box, which is like so a blaster box. I think is seven packs, and it's twenty dollars. And you'll maybe get one or you'll get you're guaranteed one young gun because it's one in every four packs. If you get a mega box, that's two. Excuse me. If you get a mega box, so that's forty dollars. That's ten packs. So you go, OK, I'm paying, you know, twenty dollars more, but I'm getting three extra packs. But you'll get two young guns because you get one every four packs and you might get a third young gun if the collation is good. I mean, one time I bought four mega boxes and I think one box had three, then the other one had three, and then the other two had two and two. So, you know, I did a little better than, you know, that that one out of every four worked in my favor on a couple of the boxes. Uh, and the other thing about mega boxes is then they tend to have um, special inserts that you can only get in the mega boxes. But if you get a blaster box, that's fine too. I mean, you'll still get, you know, tons of base cards. You'll get one or maybe two young gun rookie cards. Uh, and then you'll get, um, you know, some insert cards and none of the inserts that you get in blasters are all that exciting. Honestly, they're going to be the same ones that you get everywhere else. Probably the ones that are maybe a little unique. There might be a special Dazzlers insert color that's exclusive to some uh, some blaster boxes. 
but I'm not 100% sure. We just did a show not too long ago on the Puck Junk podcast about Upper Deck Series 1, and I remember reading down the list of like, there's pink Dazzlers, there's red Dazzlers, there's orange, or maybe they're gold, we're not sure, you know, there's blue, there's green, you know, there's like all these different colors that have these really cool like foil board backgrounds. So, I mean, there might be a special color of that in the, um, in the blasters, but then as far as like rookies to look for, uh, in series one, you got Maddie Beneers of the Seattle Kraken. He's currently leading rookies in point scoring, Jack Quinn of the Buffalo Sabres and Owen Power also of the Buffalo Sabres, um, headline the rookies from this year who have a rookie card in this year's upper deck set. And of course, uh, I mentioned Matt Boldy, who was a rookie last year, and he's in this year's upper deck set. So those would be the ones to kind of look out for. Those would be the ones, if you got one, you'd be like, yeah, all right, I did good on this box. We're talking with Sal Barry. Sal Barry is from Puck Junk, which is the best podcast in terms of hockey and hockey cards and hockey collectibles. Drew, do you have a, a question for Sal? Yeah, I was actually just thinking about, because uh, what would you recommend for the uh, budget level collectors out there? Like somebody like me who doesn't like, I don't want to go out and spend, you know, a whole ton on something like uh, the cup and all the high end stuff there. Even like, I mean, obviously, you know, we just mentioned, we were talking a ton about a uh, series one. What's your view on things like Opeachy that we briefly mentioned uh, the upper deck MVP set, things like that. Well, I'm glad you brought up the upper deck MVP set because that's a set that I, I, I love to pick on, but then I also buy it every year. So go figure. <laughs> yeah. Right. But exactly. I'll tell you what I buy, what I bought religiously with Upper Deck MVP, is they put out a box set. They've put out a box set for the past four or five years. And it's funny because, because it comes in like this ridiculously long box that's reminiscent of like when you get a Topps factory set and it was like the 792 cards, or even like today you get a, a top set and it's in a big box, but it's only like 250 cards. But it comes so in all that a box. extra space used on then. Jeez, that's I, I you know, wait, wait, I, no, no, you can't say that because Panini uses extra space better than any company in the world. Yeah, true. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, like, it, you know, it's funny because like even like tops, like their hockey stickers, which I bought since they started making the, the NHL stickers again, is you get a box of the hockey stickers and like the bottom inch of the box is just styrofoam. Yeah. Like you go, wow, this is a big box, but then you get through all the packs and then you look and then you're like, wait, there's like an inch of styrofoam at the bottom. So right, you put it all in a, in a number two envelope. Right. right. So you think that I think a lot of it has to do with like standard sizing. And I also think a lot of it has to do with like shelf space. And mm -hmm. you know what, honestly, a 250 card set, that's not super big. That could be, that could be stolen easier than an oblong box. Sure. Um, not that I advocate any of that, but I'm just, you know, you think about like action figures, right? Like I used to be a really big action figure collector and they come on these like blister cards, but the figure would only be like that big if you think of like an old school GI Joe, right? But they put them on these blister cards because then you, you can't, you know, well for display also. I mean, if it's, if it's a big box, it takes up more shelf space and they're always competing for shelf space as well. But anyways, Back to my original point. By the way, if you listen to the podcast, Tim and I go off on tangents all the time. Drew and I are pretty good nothing at about tangents, that. too. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just natural, especially if you have like a lot of different, you reach a certain age and you've had a lot of different hobbies and stuff, then um, what's it called? Then you end up uh, talking about, uh, about many different things. But in, anyway, so MVP comes out with the factory set, and I, I think that's great. It's like 35 bucks. 
Nice. You get all 200 base cards. You get the 50 rookie cards. Now you're going to have a lot of the holdover or leftover rookies from the previous year. Uh, fortunately, though, some of those guys that um, uh, that are rookies this year have rookie cards in the set because they played in a couple of games late last season, like Owen Power, who is the number one pick when his college career ended. He finished out the rest of the season with Buffalo. So he was eligible then, not for cards that season, but for cards this season. So MVP actually has some decent rookie cards in it. Um, the two problems with MVP is one, they never update it. They never, well, they did, but back in like 2007, eight, around then, they'd have redemption rookies. They don't do that anymore. As it kind of morphed from like this mid-tier set to this low-end set. And then the other problem with MVP is um, nobody really goes after those cards as investments. Like I'll give you like, uh, for instance, like I have like some MVP rookie cards of like decent players and nobody, nobody buys them. Like I have like a, I was going through my cards and I found like I had like a Jacob Truba MVP rookie and I was just like, all right, well now he's the captain of the Rangers. I'm going to kind of put this one in front and center. And I only wanted like five bucks for it. And like, nobody's interested, you know, or I have like, you know, like MVP rookies of like, you know, certain players who are like young superstars. But again, people kind of fall into this mindset of like, I got to buy a young gun. I got to buy um, a cup rookie, or I got to buy a future watch auto. And, and that's a little disheartening, like, especially for somebody like me who also sells that shows, like, Somebody wanted a, um, oh, what was it? A, a Trevor Zegers rookie card. And I didn't have any of his young guns, but I had like this, um, I can't remember if it was Premier or it was like another like mid to high range set. And I think it was numbered out of 299 or 599 or something. And I'm like, well, I got this, this Zegers rookie card and it's only numbered out of like 400 copies or 300 copies. And the guy looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> Why would I want that card that there's only 300 of them? I want the young gun where there's like tens of yeah, thousands, ten thousands of them. Thousands of right. Right. So go figure. You could have a card numbered out of 299 and people be like, eh, I don't want that. You know, I don't want that garbage. Well, speaking with Sal Barry, Sal Barry, of course, is from Puck Junk. We're talking a little hockey. One more question for Sal, and then I'll let you go. Um, Alex Ovechkin hit 800 goals and he's go going for Gretzky's uh, record in a couple of years, maybe. Uh, is his rookie card worth of an investment? And also, um, we I, I went to UMass and I'm a big Cal McCarr, Cal McCarr fan. Is he a guy that we should invest in? Yeah, but I guess the, the question is, is when you think invest, it's like buying to sell at a profit. And the thing is, is that Ovechkin cards are so expensive now, and they have been for uh past couple of years. I mean, I remember pre-pandemic, I bought what you'd consider like a low to mid-range Ovechkin rookie. It was in a set called Beehive, Upper Deck Beehive. And I maybe I paid $45 for it. And I was just happy to have it because it was an Ovechkin rookie that I didn't have that I could afford. The, the problem is now is that a lot of the low-end stuff is being driven up. So the thing about investment is, you know, obviously you're buying it to turn a profit. So, and then it just depends. Like, I feel that like the higher end stuff is already priced so high that if you buy that, then you're going to have to wait a long time to sell it. And also a lot of the newer stuff, the modern stuff, I mean, there's a lot of it in high grade. 
you know, there's a lot of PSA nines and PSA tens out there. It's not the same as like a Gretzky card from 7980, where there's only a handful of like PSA 10, like me, I think two PSA tens that are, that, that have been out there. Um, Makar, I mean, his cards are a little more affordable because he hasn't played as long. He's a defenseman. And that's always, that always makes a player a little less desirable as a collectible. But I mean, he's like a super hot player. Um, as far as like, I remember at the national, I was um, set up to sell at the national and I could not hang on to Kale McCarr cards. Like I would, yeah. I, everything I brought with me, I sold. And then even anything that I bought at the show from somebody, I turned around and sold. I think the only one that I, that I didn't sell was one that I just kind of hung on to. Cause I said, you know what, I think I'm going to keep this one for myself, you know, cause I just, I wanted to have one because I kept selling everyone that I had, but I mean, I even sold his top sticker, which wasn't even a rookie card. It was just a tops sticker, but I think it was shiny, but it was just <laughs> like, all right, well, I'll put this out there. Maybe somebody will want it. Somebody's like, yeah, I'll take that Kale McCarr sticker. So yes, I mean, there's still potential to invest in his cards. I don't really talk about investing on my show so much, but I mean, it is a part of the hobby and it is something that people are interested in. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I don't buy cards as, as investments. But the thing is, is that if I'm stuck with 10 Kale McCarr rookie cards, not the end of the world. Just like all those years ago when I bought Yarmir Yager rookie cards that are worthless today, you know, <laughs> maybe worth a couple of bucks. I'm not too sad about having them. You know what I mean? I'm not like, oh, I didn't cash out on these because, I mean, we all did that. And then, well, we all, those of us who are collecting in the 80s and 90s did that. So, uh, yeah, I, McCarr's... Um, He's going to be around a long time. He's the real deal. I mean, he's the best defenseman. You know, it's, it's a toss-up between him and Adam Fox. But seeing as how McCarr and the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup and McCarr won the Consmite Trophy as MVP, I mean, it's just a no-brainer that he's, you know, he's a good player to invest in right now. Sal, thank you very much for spending some time with us. We're talking with Sal Barry from Puck Chuck. Sal, why don't you let people know how they can they can hear your podcast and how they can follow you on social media? Okay, well, my website is puckjunk.com, where I blog about hockey and hockey collectibles. You can find the podcast at puckjunk.com slash podcast, or you can go to Apple iTunes or Google Play or any podcast provider will have the Puck Junk podcast. You can also give me a follow uh, at puckjunk on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. Guys, follow Sal, listen to his podcast. Sal knows more about hockey and hockey collectibles than I think anywhere in the world. Don't you think, Drew? Just about, yeah. I mean, there's always some great discussions anytime we've done stuff with the, uh, what was it, the virtual shows they had in 2020 and 2021. It's always been a great time. All right. Thank you, Sal. We really appreciate your time, and I'm sure we'll, we'll keep in touch. All right? Thank you, guys. Drew, Sal's the man. I love talking to him. He's fun to talk to. Absolutely. It's great getting to hang out with him at the National a bit there. I stopped by his booth almost every day, it seemed like, when I was out there. Great guy. He knows, like, the backup goalie for the 1947 Detroit Red Wings. He just knows everything about hockey. He's awesome. I would love to be able to get him and uh, what was the guy's name? Liam McGuire. Get those two guys together. You could have a hell of a conversation there. I mean, Liam is like the hockey trivia expert from all eras of hockey, really. So, I mean, get the collectibles expert, get the trivia expert. Oh, God, that would be an absolute field day right there. Yeah, well, we have to get the guy also. I had him on, the guy from Seattle. Paul Buxton? Paul. Yes. Yep. I think we should get Paul and Sal together because they, yeah. they would be good. Paul, Paul knows a lot about hockey, too, but I think Sal knows just a little more. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know one of the things that brought up, we uh, brought up in the interview that I was talking about that uh, virtual show that was uh, called, they did during COVID. And yeah, there's some times when it was me, Paul, and then a uh, Sal and Tim, his podcast co-host, all just on there talking hockey stuff forever and showing off stuff. And yeah, that was a, was a great time. Cool. Well, that Sal, thanks for joining us. Next step, we're going to go to talking a little grading and making the grade. Making the Grade is sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. Making the Grade is the summary of what's been going on in the grading community. I just We just want to remind everyone that CSG has extended their sale through the end of the year, which means next week, guys, uh, it's going to end. You get 20% off all grading services. You go to csgcards.com. You save 20%. It doesn't matter which grading service you pick. But if you've been sitting on the sideline waiting to get your cards graded, now's the time, guys. At CSG, a great company. They're offering 20% off all grading services. Go to csgcards.com. I got some new numbers in from PSA from the past week. 228,438 cards they have slabbed uh, over this uh, the last seven days. 30-day totals right now are running at 987,000 cards. So just a little bit under a million. They've been kind of, you know, Floating with that $1 million line right there, passing it, dropping below, passing, dropping below. But anytime you're even getting close to that, that's pretty darn good. Very cool. Thank you, Drew. That wraps up making the grade. Making the grade, obviously, is talking grading community, about everything that's happened in the grading community. We'll have some uh, year in numbers for you next week. And uh, just want to, we'll go right into the TTM cast stamp of approval. I bet you're wondering who earned this week's TTM cast stamp of approval. Drew, I think this is the first time we both pick food. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> you know why? Because we're doing it at night. So usually when we do it at Saturday morning, we're not we're not as hungry as when we when we do it Saturday when we do it that night. Yep. So I think I'll do mine first, then you can do yours. Mine is uh, we just had Hanukkah, or I think we're in the fifth day of Hanukkah right now. And my wife, we had my uh, my family over, my brother and my sister and my mother and her boyfriend and uh, my cousin, my nieces and nephews were over. And I should say nieces because I don't have any nephews, but we had a, a big family get together and my wife makes these great potato luckies. They're potato pancakes and they are so good. Uh, you know, you go to a, a, a deli and you get these potato pancakes. My wife makes even better. They're so good. So I am giving my wife this TTM cast stamp of approval for her potato pancakes. If you want a recipe, send me an email. What's the email address, Drew? That's ttmcast at yahoo.com. I'll send you her recipe because it is so, so good. So, Paula, thank you for making potato pancakes. And that gets my TTM cast sample approval. Nice. All right. Well, yeah, as you said, I'm going food as well. And uh, and hitting the hot sauces a lot lately. I've got a whole cupboard full of them because every year my wife and I go to Zest Fest here in uh, the Dallas area. This big, uh, like, three-day convention of uh, mostly spicy foods, but all kinds of different food items there, but especially focus on uh, hot sauces and such. But um, I had this one back there that I tried a couple times. I'm like, oh boy, this one is, uh, it's one of the hotter ones that I've got there, but figured, all right, let's dip back into it a little bit here. I've been having it on my uh, burritos at lunch here the last couple of days. It's great because I mean, you only need like two drops of it per like per every uh, few bites or so, and it'll set you flaming pretty well. But made by K Johns, they're a company out of North Carolina. I think they've got some offices in Ohio as well, but uh, it's called their Cerberus hot sauce. Ooh, that that looks nasty. Oh yeah, I mean, just look at that. You get the get it floating on the top there. But uh, it's got, I mean, vinegar is the main ingredient for, it, but it has the seven pot Primo pepper, seven pot Douglas peppers, Carolina Reapers, 
plus garlic powder, sugar, salt, and some Carolina Reaper powder to add a little bit extra heat there. And uh, now clear out your sinuses, huh? It definitely does. Yeah, I mean, which is great for this time of year because probably somebody out there is going to need that. So if you do, get yourself a bottle of this. But uh, yeah, Cajun just makes so many great ones. I've been kind of alternating between that and there's this uh, green Reaper. It's called the Maui Wowie sauce, which is made with green Reaper peppers, but also has CBD oil added to it as well. Wow. And yeah, tastes, I mean, the great thing is with these ones, none of them use any hot pepper extracts from it. It's all just pure chili peppers. Because those pepper extracts, like they add heat, but they taste absolutely terrible. And that was the problem with like uh, Dave's Insanity sauce for a long time. That was like the big hot sauce for the longest time. But it tasted so bad because it was just focusing on heat and nothing else. These ones, you actually get some really darn good flavor along with the, the extreme nearly unbearable at times i like you know what i like i like the um the mustard base the yellow carolina hot sauce yeah. i really like those yeah they've got there's every company that's up there usually has uh, the, there's a couple of tables that'll have that set up there too so yeah there's i mean the the spicy food uh world has definitely improved a lot over the last like decade or two now that there's more hot peppers being grown and that are getting hotter and not having to go with adding all the extra crappy tasting stuff just to add pure heat Cool. Well, thank you, Drew. That is Drew's TKM cast stamp approval of the week. Next up, we have the Vern Rap Minute. Well, tough week for, in sports, Drew. We lose it. We lost a, lost a bunch of guys this week. Uh, the Vern Rap Minute is dedicated to Mr. Vern Rap, who passed away prior to me. Sending out a TTM request. We do this as a service to our fellow TTMers, who people have passed away in the world of sports and celebrity. And this week, we just really covered sports. Uh, first, we lost former Philadelphia Philly. California Angel and Boston Red Sox second baseman. His name was Danny Doyle. He played from 1970 to 77. Danny was a great TTMer before he got sick, or and his last TTM was about 2020. I saw a really great quote by uh, from Jerry Remy. Jerry, Jerry Remy also passed away this year. He says, Denny Doyle hates me because I, I replaced him in California and in Boston. Jeez. <laughs> So Danny Doyle was on the 75 Red Sox team that, that won the pennant. And he was the only guy of all the team, all the both teams that got a hit in every game of the world series. And we're talking Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Fred Lynn, Kyle Yastrzemski, Dwight Evans, Jim Rice, you name it. The guys that played on in that uh, Ken Griffey senior and Denny Doyle was the only guy that in Johnny bench and he, and Colin Fisk. And Denny Doyle was the only guy that got a hit in every in, in every game of the 75 World Series. So we lost Denny Doyle, 78 years old. Uh, we also lost Barry Cullen this week. He was a right winger for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Detroit Red Wings. Back in the original six days, he played for those two teams from 1955 to 1960. He's an excellent TTMer. He was 87 years old. We lost Franco Harris. Franco Harris, of course, from Penn State and the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played in 1984 with the Seattle Seahawks. I forgot about that. Do you remember him with the, the Seahawks? The only reason I remember that is because once in a while, Panini, they'll break out a card saying, oh, yeah, hey, we need a photo of him with the with the Seahawks on. It's like, OK, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in there. Why not? Yeah, I think he played eight or nine games. He missed um, tying Jim Brown's record by like 100 and something yards. 
because he didn't play, you know, he didn't play a full season or I don't know if he got hurt near the end of his career, but he didn't play a full season with Seattle, but I didn't remember him as Seattle. Well, anyway, he made nine consecutive Pro Bowls from 1972 to 1980. He was a four-time Super Bowl champion. He was a Super Bowl MVP of obviously he was a NFL Hall of Famer, 13 seasons in the NFL. His last TTM was 2013. So he was not a t- good TTM, right? Did you ever get him TTM, Drew? I didn't. Uh, my friend Chris did and just got that actually authenticated when I did all my uh, Beckett stuff a few months ago. Yeah, I've seen a few there. That the last one that was on the website was 2013, but I've seen a few that have gotten through. But Franco Harris, he was 72 years old. Uh, we also lost Don McKenney this week, longtime NHL player, played from 1954 to 1967 with the Bruins, the Rangers, the Maple Leafs, the Red Wings, and the Blues. So four of the original six teams in there, plus the Blues. He was a centerman and won the Lady Bing Trophy in 1960. Six-time All-Star, and uh, he's one of the few people who can say he won a cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which I'm guessing would have been 67 there. Yeah, I think it was 67. I think it was his last year. And so he, was a, he was an excellent TTMer as well, 88 years old. We lost Gary uh, Naf- Nafelk. We'll say Gary Nafelk, right? He was a wide receiver. He played for the Chicago Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers. He played 101 games and scored 23 touchdowns. He was a two-time NFL champion uh, with the Green Bay Packers. And later, this was really interesting. He was the PA announcer at Lambeau Field from 1964 wow. to 2004. So he he was in football for a long time. Gary was 90 years old. He did not do two TMs. Uh, we also lost Tom Browning this week. Uh, Tom pitched a perfect game in 1988 as a member of the Reds against the LA Dodgers. It's one of three perfect games to be pitched in the state of Ohio. See if you can think of who the other two were. I'll give you a minute to think about that here as I go through all this. But Len Barker's one of them. Yes, Len Barker's one. So you're at two right there. Uh, Browning had 123 wins in his career. I think it's like a 123 and 67 record or something like that. It's a really surprisingly good record. He won 20 games as a rookie in 1985. He was also a World Series champion in 1990 with the Reds. Pitched for the Reds and the Royals. Uh, you may remember there's a video of him snapping his arm, unfortunately, as a uh, pitcher for the Reds and tried to come back from that, but uh, only lasted a couple more games with the Royals that are after it. But he was an okay TTM or last signed in 2021, made appearances at the 2014 and 2018 Nationals up in Cleveland. Tom Browning was 62 years old. You know who that third uh, perfect game was at all in Ohio? It had is uh, Sandy Koufax. Addie Joss back in like 1912, yeah. <laughs> approximately 1911, I think. So I, so I have think- a, I have a ball signed by the by Browning and Barker. I'm thinking, okay, were there any others thrown in Ohio at all? And Addie Joss, it's like there's almost no known autographs of his out there. So I've gotten yeah. that ball as far as I'm going to. No, he was Tom Browning was a, a pretty good pitcher until he got hurt. He really, he really was. Uh, and I met him at the national as well. He was very very nice. Well, guys, that wraps up um, the Vern Rap Minute. Our Sympathy and condolences go out to friends and family. We are sorry for your loss. Next up, we're going to talk a little TTM returns. Was our mailbox full this week? Let's take a look at this week's TTM returns. So, Drew, why don't you go first, and then I'll take mine. It's kind of a, sl- a slow week, uh, mail-wise. Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't send any, I didn't send anything out last week, and I'm not sending anything out this week. I always take a break on uh, during the holidays. Yeah, I'm probably going to hold off on mine. I've got a stack of like 16 here that I just need to, well, one was a return to sender because I had the, uh, it didn't have a complete address on it. So it's going to go right back out, but i got to write 15 of them here and I'll probably just wait until after the first year to send those out. But I did get three back this week. Two of them I mentioned last week as likely coming and they did indeed come in. Uh, 
First one being Kevin Johnson, former wide receiver for the Browns and uh, the Giants. I believe he may have been with the Lions for a bit as well. But I sent him two cards. Uh, he signed both those. He was a second-round draft pick of the Browns in 1999, so I was able to find his 99-score rookie card there in my stuff and sent that off along with one other and got those done. Uh, also got Browns wide receiver Steve Holden back as well. He played for them back in, I think it was in the mid-70s or so, but he signed the only card that I had of him. Also, I uh, got him on a custom index card. I also got Bob Jackson later this week. He was uh, offensive lineman for the Browns throughout the 70s and 80s. Very quick return on him. I think it was under, under two weeks uh, to get him back, but he signed the two cards I had of him. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I had in there. A lot of, once again, heavy on the former Browns players there, but that's mostly what I've been sending out lately. Very cool. I got, you know, I got two today that I didn't put on the list. So I've, I actually got four to tell you guys, guys about. I got, first I got Gills Malosh, who was a goaltender for a bunch of teams, including the Minnesota North Stars. And he played for the California Seals, the Blackhawks, uh, the Cleveland Barons, and the Penguins. He signed his 1988-89 Tops card for me as a Penguin, and he sent his 1979-80 card for me as a Minnesota North Star. He's a great signer. Um, you know, I love goaltenders. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, Drew, but I think goaltenders are goaltenders are like kickers for me. You know, they yep. they sign. So I also got I got Rick Cerrone back today on a 1990 card and Tops card, and he he only signed one card. He mm-hmm. signed the 1990 Tops card. He did not sign his 19. 19- 89 tops card but it's okay so i got one or two from rick, Cer- rick Cerrone. I, I got him as he was a in his red sox uniform so I, I had a couple of yankees ones from him but i didn't have a red sox one from so so i sent it out i got two cards back from dana kicker who played was a pitcher for the red sox back in the 90s he signed his 1990 tops card for me and he sent me a 1990 scorecard that he signed so i got i got a uh, two dana kicker he was a a pitcher, and then I got a 1974 Topps rookie card of Andre Thornton, who pitched was uh, from the Cleveland Indians. So I don't, Drew. Do you know if the Terry Hughes still signs? Is he around? Does he still sign? That I don't know. I'd have to look him up. Yeah, I got John John Knox. You know if he signs? Don't know about him either. I know Frank White. I got Frank White's on the card, and I can I can get him. So All I'm right. gonna work on uh, I'll work on this card. See, and hopefully these some of these guys are still still with us. But well, uh, pretty cool. I had that Andre Thornton card just hanging around, and I it was one like you know you always have cards like oh I mean to send out, I mean to send out, and I, like yep. when the other, last week I think I or two weeks ago I saw it, and so I get to send I get to send that out to him already and get it signed. <laughs> so that wraps up my returns to the week. I have as I said I didn't get anything out this week or um, next week. I might send out a few. I actually got I printed out three pictures to get signed. I picked I, I have a. Brooks Robinson picture that I did. I did a uh, Raleigh Fingers picture and I did a um, Billy Keller and uh, Louis Dampier picture. So nice. I'm going to, I'm going to send those, those out next week. Uh, we had uh, a half price coupon from CVS. So I've got three yep. pictures, three pictures I'm, I'm working on to send out. And I got, I, I don't know, I got about eight or 10 envelopes prepped and ready to go. I just have to put cards in it. So yep. That wraps up returns for the week. And, uh, you know, we'll follow all my successes on sportscollectorsdaily.com, my article, weekly article. But that laps, wraps up returns. Next up, we have our uh, weekly TTM cast interview. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee, csgcards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. So, Drew, as part of my um, sending out TTM requests, I always put a request in there 
uh, asking them if they want to be on the show. And that's done. It's worked out well for us. I think we've gotten a bunch of guys that, that want to be on the show. And uh, I've, I sent out a request to Paul Kaufman a couple weeks ago for an autograph. He signed his card. I got the card back the other day and uh, he decided, he said he'd be on the show. So I reached out to Paul and Paul was fun to talk to. He, he went to Kansas state. He played with uh, Lynn Dickey and he played on, he was on Green Bay Packers. He tight end and he was a, um, a pro bowl tight end. He played for the Kansas city chiefs and the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And we talked to Paul about his career. In the NFL, we also talked to them about signing autographs. But first, here's a message from our friends at CSG. Enter to win one of the most coveted rookie cards in basketball. CSG is giving away a 2003-2004 Topps Chrome LeBron James rookie card, graded a CSG Gen Mint 10. Here's your chance to add one of the greatest players to your collection. To enter, visit csgcards.com today. For your favorite current player for your PC, CSG has got you covered. Learn more about all CSG has to offer at csgcards.com. Joining the show is 11-year NFL veteran. He played on three Pro Bowl teams. He was named to the Pro Bowl three times. He is a member of the Kansas City Sports Hall of Fame. He is a member of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. He went to Kansas State, and he played most of his career with the Green Bay Packers, as well as playing for the Kansas City Chiefs and finishing his career with the Minnesota Vikings. I'm talking, of course, about Paul Kaufman, former tight end, number 82 in your program. Welcome, Paul. Hey, good to be here. Paul, you know what? Just learning a little about your, your career, you, you played on some really bad teams in college. It was, was, it, <laughs> was, it, was it difficult to come out of, out of a, um, you know, such a downtrodden college program? Because Kansas State has, is over the, you know, recently has been much better. Oh, obviously. Uh, you know, I tell people when I played at Kansas State, we were arguably the worst college football program in the United States. Every away game we played was the other team's homecoming. We, yep. would pull in, we would pull into town and we'd see the fraternities and sororities all decorated. And it's like the parade, you know, had started and everything. And uh, it was um, it was tough, but, you know, I was a walk-on. I, I didn't have a, a lot of choices. Uh, I had actually signed with Coffeyville Junior College. And uh, the coach at Kansas State at that time was a man by the name of Vince Gibson, who southern man and when i came up for a recruiting trip he said paul kaufman he said you're gonna be a fine fine ball player here kansas, <laughs> kansas state university he said but they just one thing wrong he said i don't give away all my scholarships i said well coach gibson i said uh, maybe i ought to go to coffeeville and uh you know i'll get some size some experience and then i'll come up here he said no 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 he said, we'll run off some boys during two a days. He said, you get yourself a scholarship in no time. So were you, were you um, did you have the size, you know, were you six to, um, you know, two, two plus when you were uh, coming out of high school? Well, I, I grew up in a town of uh, about 500 people. You know, there were 20 people in my graduating class. I always say I'd graduate the top 10 of my class. <laughs> I was, um, Six three, weighed about one, actually one ninety one. I remember. Hey, so you had some pretty good size. Yeah, you know, and I I ran track, I ran the quarter and the hurdles, but when I was in junior high, I uh, hurt my elbow, and uh, this arm only straightens this far. <laughs> Guys, he's show he's showing his right out right arm, and it doesn't. It, it's a crooked elbow. Is is what he's yeah. doing. Well, 
my left arm only straightens that far. Um, it, it, there's actually a name for it. I don't know what it is, but calcium formed on the inside of my joints and, uh, you know, my arms wouldn't straighten. And, and when you grow up in a town of, you know, five, 600 people, your doctor is also your veterinarian. So <laughs> you don't, you don't really know, you know, they actually put me in a cast for like three months, took the cast off and sent me home. And the doctor said, you'll be fine as long as you don't play football. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, I didn't have any rehab or anything. I remember my mom would say, well, go out behind the shed, get one of those big bricks, one of those big cinder blocks and, and hold it to stretch your arm out, which probably would have been the best thing I could have done. But I'm like, oh, mom, you know, you don't know. And you uh, don't know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my elbows were crooked. I grew up in a small town and, uh, you know, I, I don't fault anybody for not giving me a scholarship because they're really, you know, I was an athlete, but, uh, you know, nothing wowed people coming out of high school, but, uh, it was an opportunity for me to play because when we were getting beat, they were looking for players that just wouldn't give up at the end of the game. And it's like, you know what, I'm getting an opportunity to play up here. My, they, the coach called me in after the season, uh, my freshman year and, uh, said he was going to give me a scholarship. And then, uh, over Christmas, he got fired. Oy. I had to go through spring ball and, uh, you know, then I finally earned a scholarship going into my sophomore year and uh, was able to, to play and uh, catch a few passes my sophomore year and a few my junior. And then uh, my senior year, they, uh, they brought in a couple of highly recruited freshmen and put them in front of me. So at the start of my senior year, I was the third team tight end. I, I, I thought about quitting. Um, but I thought, you know what, if I quit, I take away the thing I love to do and that's play football. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I, I get to practice. I get to go out there and, and do what I love to do. And, uh, after the third game of the season, they, uh, we actually almost got beat by Wichita state, which, uh, has dropped their program now, <laughs> but they put me in the game and I caught the touchdown pass that that won the game for us. And, uh, I got to start the rest of the games and, you know, back then the big eight with Nebraska and Oklahoma and Colorado, Oklahoma state, uh, you know, Missouri, they, they were all powerhouses. And yeah, those uh, are all great schools with great programs. Yeah. So some of the guys I played against in college, you know, uh, the Selman brothers down in Oklahoma, and, you know, that, I mean, these are some of the best of the best. So, uh, you know, it gave me an opportunity to get on the field and, and to play against some of the best. And, uh, you know, it was uh, just by an act of God, really, that uh, that I got to try out in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, really, you, you know, you you had the, the, the strangest, hardest road in terms of becoming a professional football player. Um, was that always in your in your forefront? Like, oh, that's just what I want to do. I want to play professional football or, uh, you know, well, it just I, the circumstance <laughs> helped you. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, every young man that puts on a helmet and a jock and cleats, you know, and watches, you know, obviously the NFL is just bigger than life anymore. And uh, with social media and, and, you know, reruns and ESPN, you know, any kid that plays watches the NFL teams and the pageantry of the college game and it's like, that's what I want to do, you know? Yeah. So obviously when you're young, 
you look at it and like, that's what I want to do. But nobody in my hometown had ever gone to college and played football. We had a couple that went to some junior colleges out in Dodge City, Garden City, and uh, they came home after about a week. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so Said, the, reality, Mom, the guys are a little bigger than here in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reality of it, you know, was it was distant, but still in the back of my mind, it was like, you know, I'd love to do that. And then, you know, going to Kansas State and playing in the Big Eight at the time was was kind of a, a, a milestone. And uh, I do motivational speaking. And I always say you need a living example of somebody who's gone before you and done that you want to do. Yep. Somebody that's no bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, better looking, you know, no matter if it's in business or sports, you can look at somebody and go, how did they get there? You know, they, they have no more talent than I have. Yeah, I mean, obviously you see guys that are bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, you know, you look at a LeBron James, you know, you look right. at a, a Randy Moss, uh, you know, guys that just physically, you know, a Reggie White, a Lawrence Taylor uh, back in my day. Uh, you know, <laughs> these guys were just, you know, you look at them and go that that's a professional football player. And, uh, but you know, I, I wasn't that type of guy. And, uh, luckily for me, they didn't have, uh, the combine, uh, like they have now where they bring in players yep. uh, to work them out. Uh, so the coaches would come to the universities and work out the different players. And luckily for me, we had one player on our team that was deemed to be draftable and he happened to be my roommate. He was a linebacker by the name of Gary Spaney and uh, Gary ended up playing uh, nine, 10 seasons with the Kansas city chiefs, but the teams would come to work out Gary and I would show up and he said that he didn't feel comfortable asking them if they'd work me out. So I would, you know, say, Hey, I'm, I'm Gary's roommate. We're workout partners. You're only running one guy through these drills. Why don't, you let me do it too. I'll help spot him in the bench. I'll run against him and push him in the 40. Yeah. You'll you know. make him look good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. So uh, basically because they came to look at him, I, I got tryouts and uh, the Packers tried me out. And then about a week after the draft, I actually got a call from the Denver Broncos. Uh, they wanted me to come out and play linebacker. I'm like, you got Randy Gratishire, you got Bo Swenson, Thomas Jackson. They go, but we have no backup guys. You know, you come out here, you work hard, you make the team on special team. We'll keep you here in the offseason. We'll teach you how to play linebacker. Well, then Green Bay called me up and uh, Denver was going to offer me like $2,000 to sign. <clears throat> Green Bay, I thought my best chance was playing tight end, which I'd played all through college. Yep. And uh, Green Bay offered me $1,000 signing bonus and a contract of $24,000 my first year and $30,000 my second. And being the, you know, I didn't have an agent or anything. And since Denver offered me $2,000, I thought, well, if I get $2,500, I'll at least have enough money to re-enroll at K-State if I don't make the team and finish my degree. So I told the guy in Green Bay, I said, look, I'm going to have to have $2,500 to sign. And the phone went silent and I'm thinking, oh, crap, I've messed this <laughs> I, up. I, I just they just call my bluff. <laughs> yeah. 
He goes, we'll give you 15. I said, okay, real quick. <laughs> I didn't want to make him mad. So uh, loaded up everything I owned into a 1967 Chevrolet Impala, drove to Green Bay. Uh, back then, they only kept 42 players on the roster. Uh, you know, they'd had like a little taxi squad. You know, some players would get hurt during preseason, but uh, they only kept two tight ends. We had five in camp. My name was number five on the depth chart. And uh, growing up in that small town, my mom and dad were both school teachers. And my dad was also a farmer. And I tell people I had the best combination of hard work and education. Oh, sure. My dad would get up at five. He'd go out and plow in the field till 730, come back, shower, put his suit on and go teach biology, chemistry and physics all day. Go back out in the field after school and, and plow till dark. You know, my mom was always one that. She wanted kids, she didn't want to teach kids things. She wanted to teach them how to learn. And uh, she would always do puzzles and ask questions and, you know, all these mind game type things. And uh, so when I got to Green Bay, I felt like, you know, I can learn my plays. I can, I won't make any mental mistakes. Yep. And I can work harder than anybody else. Even though I'm not the fastest guy, I can win every sprint after practice you know, they actually gave me number 94 when I first reported. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, writing on the wall. They gave well, me no, 94. No. I mean, the, the thing was, is being naive, I think, kind of helped me. I was too naive to realize they weren't planning on keeping a tight end. They gave number 94. To, yeah. You know, I and I think, you know, and I was I only weighed 212 pounds. And so when we weighed in. I went into the weight room and I uh, got a five pound weight and I put it in my jock and put on some double X large shorts. So I weighed up to 217 because I thought if I would get under 215 that they might cut me. And uh, but I was too naive to realize that I really didn't have a chance to make the team. <laughs> yeah, know? what you don't know, right? When you don't right. know. you. Yeah. So reminders. Uh, yeah. So I just went out every day and. Uh, you know, tried to do the best I could and uh, not make any mental mistakes. And uh, they uh, they kept me that first year and I didn't even catch a pass. Uh, I was a special team player, came in on goal line, short yardage situations. <clears throat> in the off season, they sent me down to Phoenix to a man by the name of John Cole, who at the time was the world's strongest man. And he put me on a diet and a weight program and I didn't miss a calorie. I didn't miss a day working out. Came back my second year, weighed about 225, actually got faster. Wow. Uh, um, I was having a great camp. Uh, I was just blocking my ass off. I was catching everything. And I get a call. I'm sitting in a meeting and I get a call that Bart Starr, our head coach, wanted to see me in his office. You're a backup player and it's training camp and the head coach wants to see yeah. you in his office. At yeah, oh, no. <laughs> so I got my head down, got my playbook in my hand. I walk in coach Starr's office. He told me to take a seat and he closed the door behind me. He said, I want you to be the first to know that today I've released our starting tight end, Rich McGeorge. He said, the way you work, the way you prepare, you've earned the right to be the starting tight end for the Green Bay Packers. Wow. Tears, tears were coming down my cheeks. I said, Coach Starr, I will not let you down. I will do everything in my power to prove you've made the right decision. 
And there's a proverb in the Bible that says the power of life and death are in the tongue. You can encourage people with your words or you can discourage people with your words. And I understand fear and motive or fear and intimidation can be motivators, but after a while it gets old. But when somebody like Bart Starr says you have earned the right to be the starting tight end, it's like, you know, he spoke those words of life into me that this man believes in me and I will do everything I can to prove him right. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the start of everything. That's very cool. We're speaking with Paul Kaufman. Paul Kaufman played 11 seasons in the NFL. He was a three-time Pro Bowl. He made the Pro Bowl in 1982, 83, and 84. He played college football at Kansas State, but he was not drafted. And uh, he got uh, picked up as a free agent by the Green Bay Packers. He played most of his career with the Packers. He also played with the Kansas City Chiefs and finished his career with the Minnesota Vikings. And we're talk to, talking to Paul about his career. I'm going to talk a little collectibles with him as well. Um, you know, you, when you got named the, the starting tight end, I, you know, I think I read this somewhere that um, the offensive scheme changed in Green Bay and they decided to use the tight end more as a, a pass catcher, right? And that was kind of came in line with you being uh, named starter. Well, you know, kind of right place, right time. Um, you know, <clears throat> Lynn Dickey played at Kansas State before I did. Yep. I, I knew a lot of people Lynn knew. And in 1977, Lynn broke his lower leg, both, both bones in his lower leg, kind of a Joe Theismann type break. So he set out all the 78 season and part of the 79 season. Well, I would sit by him in meetings and I could learn what I did on the plays, but Lynn would explain to me why I was doing it, what the concept of the route was, what he was reading as a quarterback. Right. He would explain to me what the defense was trying to do to stop us. Did it, Paul, <laughs> and, did it help that you didn't have much ex expectations from the outside in terms of uh, the fans and the press because you were just, you came as an undrafted player that you know there wasn't a spotlight on you per se and it gave you time to grow into the position yeah i think so and, and the other thing you know again talk about being the right place right time <clears throat> the backup quarterback was a guy by the name of david whitehurst yeah played at Furman university and david ended up being my roommate well david said a lot of times when things would break down he knew as a tight end <laughs> I wasn't 20 yards down the field. I was usually running little hooks and curls over the middle or doing check downs. You know, I was his outlet. So when he would get in trouble, he would just look for me. And uh, that year I caught 56 passes. And a lot of it was just, you know, David and I had a friendship and I was his security blanket when he wasn't sure. I mean, we had we had uh, James Lofton on the outside that was, you know, streaming down the field. I mean, opposing teams are going to go, are we going to, are we going to cover this, uh, you know, undrafted free agent tight end? Are we going to, you know, cover this pro bowl wide receiver, you know, future hall of famer, James Lofton. So. Right. You I, had John he, Jefferson too, was a pretty good player. Yeah. Well, yeah. So. A couple years later, you know, I mean, JJ wasn't there at first, but he came in, I think in 82, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that I, obviously, you know, all three of us made the Pro Bowl. And with Lynn back there throwing, our offensive line did a great job of protecting him. And we had two running backs, uh, Gary Ellis, Eddie Lee Ivory, that uh, they caught over 50 passes one year. 
you know, so we, we had a, a pretty high powered offense and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I know you mentioned uh, blocking Lawrence Taylor was one of the hardest <laughs> things you had to do in football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. You know, with my crooked elbows, I couldn't straighten all the way. And, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor was, you know, there are guys that are big, strong and fast, but you find at some point in the game, they might take a playoff. You know, they might rest. They might just dog it. Lawrence Taylor never did that. <laughs> you know, he was wired. He was wired maybe more ways than one, but uh, he, he never took a playoff. So, uh, you know, it, it was fun playing against, you know, people, Lawrence Taylor, Mike Singletary, you know, uh, Otis Wilson and uh, uh, Wilbur Marshall there with the Bears. You know, there, there were some of the some of the best athletes on the field are those outside linebackers. And, uh, you know, I had to go against them. And, and back then, the tight end, you didn't have a blocking tight end and a receiving tight end like right. we have now. <clears throat> you know, you had to do it all. and. Uh, you know, there were times when uh, it, it was tough, you know, blocking Lawrence Taylor. Do you remember a time, somebody that gave you the hardest hit? I remember Tom Brady recently. He, they asked him who gave him uh, his hardest hit, and he, he just he jumped right to it. I remember this game against Buffalo Bills, and this guy, nah, <laughs> clean my clock. Was there, was there a time that you, you, you got your bell rung and you, you kind of remember it? I, I always tell people I, I don't remember who it was. <laughs> I, I was running Did you get the I number was, of that truck <laughs> well I, I was running down on a kickoff you know because I, I had to play special teams even when I became the starter and uh I was running down had had my eyes set on making the tackle and all of a sudden boom next thing I know I'm waking up I'm sitting on the bench on the sideline and they got the smelling salts you know th yeah. this is this is uh, concussion protocol back in the day smelling salts and then when you come to how many fingers do i have up three close enough Get back <laughs> in. <clears throat> so you know and, and that's what the coaches would say go okay now that guy running down the field there you ear holding you take your helmet and you put it right in his ear hole so you know that that's the terminology that was used you know right. today, a, different a different game than it is today yeah, today, you know, helmet to helmet thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the hardest hit I took, I don't remember who it was. And, you know, it was probably a day or two before I even remember, remember it happening. Do you have a favorite, a favorite pass, a pass that really, a reception that really, uh, you know, or you remember as a, a big catch for you or, a, you know, I can't believe I made that catch or, or a, a fantastic touchdown that you scored, a game-winning touchdown, anything that, that you can really remember from you playing well, <clears throat> My, my, my favorite play was they called it Y shake and we would run it when the other team was running cover two <clears throat> and I would take an inside release <clears throat> and the middle linebacker would pick me up. Yep. Well, I would run down about eight to 10 yards, make a short cut to the outside. Well, that gave the safeties, John Jefferson and James Lofton were both running corner routes. So they would come in, start toward the post, and then run oh, out wow. to the corners. Okay, so the safeties would guard the middle for a little bit. But when I made that little out route, their attention would go to these two corner routes. And then as soon as I made that out route, I would cut it up in the middle. 
and the middle was wide open and Lynn would just lob it over that middle linebacker who had bit on the out, the little out cut. And then I would be, I remember in New York one time, it was actually the game. I don't know if you've heard of this game, but the lights went out in the stadium. Yeah, I Monday remember night, that. <clears throat> yeah, Monday night football game, the lights went out in the stadium. We had third and 27 and uh, I ran that little shake route, caught it for 29 yards. And uh, I believe it was Beasley Reese was the safety. He came back, Lynn threw it a little high. I went up, he hit me right in the rib and broke my ribs. And uh, it was right before halftime. So I went in, they put a flak jacket on. They gave me a shot of Novocaine. I finished the game, but I still got a big knot here on my side where that, that rib was broken. I was speaking with Paul Coffin. Paul Coffin played 11 years in the NFL. He played 154 games. He's had 339 receptions for over 4,000 yards and 42 touchdowns. He played in three Pro Bowls. And Paul, I'd like to talk to you about the Pro Bowls. Just personally, how did you do? He played in the Pro Bowl in 82, 83, and 84. Uh, do you remember anything about playing in the Pro Bowls in Hawaii? Yeah, I, I remember the winner got $10,000 and the loser got five. And we were playing our butts off to get that <laughs> extra five thousand dollars i i look at the pro bowl today and it's just yeah they're just of, going through the motions and oh, it, it's it's patty cake you know but we got an extra five thousand dollars if we won but uh it, it was yeah i remember sitting by dwight clark uh you know in, in the locker we, yep. we we were locker mates together and uh we were looking around going, oh, there's Walter Payton. Look, there's Tony Dorsett. Ooh, there's Randy White from the Cowboys. You know, he, you know, and Lawrence Taylor. You know, we're, we're looking around at all these guys. And we look at each other and go, yeah, but we're here. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it was fun. I mean, I got to run around with, with Dwight. Uh, you know, I see Chris Collingsworth on TV now. He, you know, he was one of the single guys. Uh, at uh you know on the afc squad and uh hung out with him and uh just getting to know the guys and uh and and being part of that that fraternity of having been elected voted into a pro bowl uh you know just what an honor but yeah i don't remember much about the games just you know the guys the, yep. the, the joking around the you know we would only practice one or two hours in the morning and then be out on the beach and uh it, it was it was really cool do you have any memorabilia from your playing days do you keep any helmets or shirts or game balls and did you collect autographs you know i i i look back on that and some guys at the pro bowl would exchange helmets and stuff and yeah at one time i had walter payton's helmet i had had a couple other players helmets and i thought well what am i going to do with these and I don't know what I eventually did with them, but you know, they, they the way memorabilia is now, it, it'd been crazy. Some of the stuff that I had access to that I didn't take advantage of, you know, guys I played with guys I played against, you know, I see guys exchanging jerseys now. And uh, I have a little grandson that's uh, six and he's collecting cards and uh, he, he's like, Pappy, Pappy, do you, what do you, what do you have? I said, <laughs> Eli, I don't have anything. I wish, you know, I, I wish I would have saved some of the stuff I had. But, uh, you know, again, hindsight's always twenty twenty.
How about how about uh, Pro Bowl uniform jerseys or anything like that? Not do yeah, you keep any of that yeah. Stuff? I, I got I got my Pro Bowl jersey, and uh, you know it, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, forty years ago was when I played, but I will get one or two letters in the mail every week. I mean, I, I got one from Germany here just recently. A guy sent me one of my old cards to sign. Uh, you know, every state in the United States, uh, people, you know, hey, I'm collecting cards. Uh, you know, I, I grew up watching you. Uh, you know, my my sons or my grandsons are now collecting cards. And, you know, I wanted to send this card to you to sign to, you know, to add to their collection. But uh, it, it's pretty cool that, you're remembered in that way. And, uh, you know, you can brighten somebody's day by, you know, signing a card. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I always put one of my favorite Bible verses on every card and uh, just uh, add a little bit of information or inspiration to it. Do you, did you, were you a card collector as a kid? Did you collect cards as a kid? No, not really. Um, you know, again, kind of growing up in 600 people town, you know, hunting, fishing, working you know we we started working at, at a young age i was probably out on the tractor at uh you know 12 13 years old did you um did you when you were playing during your playing days did you ever just go go into a store and buy a pack of cards to see if you could get, get your card no never did uh <laughs> what would happen is people would would send me the cards and sometimes they would send two yeah and say here's one for you and could you please sign the other one and send it back? So uh, downstairs in, in uh, my house here, I have uh, a little framed picture of every card that I have. My wife. Oh, that's put, really neat. Yeah, my wife put it all together for me, and uh, so I do have every card of me that that was put out. Do you have a favorite uh, card uh, from your playing days, or uh, a picture that you like signing? Uh, well, there's one that were. You know, my don't have any hair now, but I had a lot. Yeah, of, uh, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of brown curly hair. Uh, it almost looked like an afro. And then, you know, my beard's gray. But there's one of me where, you know, I got a big beard because during the, the winter, I would always grow my beard up in Green Bay. And, uh, you know, so it's it's got the, the brown curly hair, the big beard. And uh, I, I look really mean. <laughs> you know you mentioned green bay uh, playing in lambeau field must have been special um did you did you have any other stadiums that you enjoyed playing with or against you know in or, or against there's nothing like you know like a lot of people will say you know well these fans are the best fans or those fans are the best fans green bay packer fans you know I mean, the waiting list, if you put your child on a waiting list when they are born, they might get tickets when they're <laughs> 50 or 60 years old. You know, they're, they're uh, in a divorce. Uh, you know, one spouse will get the house, the car and the kids and the other spouse will get the Packer tickets. And the one that got the house, the car, the kids is mad you know, that they didn't get the Packer tickets. But uh, the whole time I played in Green Bay, we never played. We only played in the playoffs once, but I never played in front of a crowd that wasn't sold out. Yeah, I'm sure. I did mean, you do? The, did you ever do the Lambo leap? Nah, I probably would have hit the side of the wall and just melted <laughs> down. I, I was I was before Leroy Butler. 
but, uh, you know, the fans have an unconditional love for their team. I mean, that team is, you know, the state of Wisconsin's love, and they're going to come to every game, whether you're 16 and one or one and 16. It's hard for me to say because obviously we didn't play 17 games back then. But, uh, and, and I'll, I'll go up there now and, and I'll walk through the parking lot and somebody will go, hey, Paul Kaufman. I'm like, how do you recognize me? You know, I got right, a I haven't played in 40 years. I look a little yeah, different I'm than I did 60, when I was playing. 66 years old and you, you recognize me? I mean, it, it's just crazy. Did, um, did you, how about uh, any other teams? Did you like to play, play against any other teams? Did you have a rivalry against a, yeah. a, a team or a team that you, you're like, Oh, I, well, we're going to kick the lions at, uh, butt this week and I'm going to have a good week. Well, the bears were, were always, you know, the Packer bear rivalries yep. were great. And that's, you know, with buddy Ryan and Walter Payton and Singletary and, you know, the 83, 84, you know, bears, uh, you was, know, so was that were, 85 team that went to the Super Bowl? Was that the best team you played against? That defense was just unbelievable. Uh, it was probably, and I don't know, you know, scoring wise, if they are the best in NFL history, but there, there just wasn't much you could do. They were relentless. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that, that game was always tough. Now we'd usually play Tampa Bay toward the end of our schedule. And a lot of times we'd play Tampa Bay in Tampa in December so we would leave Green Bay and it would be like minus two or three degrees. Yeah. We'd get down to Tampa and it'd be set. Yeah, we actually one year we went down to Vero Beach and we practiced at Dodgertown for the whole week. before. Oh, that we must have been cool. Oh, no, it was warm. No, was I know, it? but I'm saying it, was, it must have been really neat. I know, I know. Uh, but, it, it, you know, we'd get out to practice early and just lay on the field, just, you know, soak up the sun because in Green Bay you had like, you know, everybody says, well, how did you play in that cold weather? Well, yeah. play, playing wasn't a problem because you had heaters on the sideline. The adrenaline was flowing. Practice now is a whole different story. You know, you're not that pumped for practice. And, you know, you got like three or four, you know, pair of socks and you're wearing bigger shoes. And, you know, you got the long underwear. That This is, you know, before the days where they had all this this fancy Gore-Tex and, uh, you know, Under Armour and all this kind of warm stuff. You know, we, we just wore the old fashioned long underwear type stuff. So it was pretty cumbersome and, uh, you know, hard to get, you were just thinking about when's this going to be over so I can get back in and get warm. And, you know, as soon as we'd get in the hot tub would just be full, you know, everybody <laughs> would jump in the hot tub, try to throw out their toes. We're speaking with Paul Kaufman. Paul Kaufman played 11 seasons in the NFL with Green Bay, Kansas City, and the Minnesota Vikings. He's a three-time pro bowler. He played over 150 games. He scored 42 touchdowns, which is, which is amazing. He was undrafted out of Kansas State, and he uh, played, again, played 11 seasons in the NFL. Uh, when you went over to Kansas City, was that difficult to leave Green Bay for you? Yeah, it was. Um... You know, when Bart got fired and Forrest Gregg came in, it was a whole different culture. <clears throat> you know, I talked about fear and intimidation before. Yep. And, and that seemed to be the form of motivation. Uh, and it, it, it was just a whole different culture. Uh, you know, Forrest came in one day and goes, you know, I'm not going to be eight and eight around here anymore. And so he 
you know, I, I get cut. James Lofton gets traded. Lynn Dickey gets cut. Larry McCarron, our center, gets cut. Greg Cook, our tackle, gets traded. Mike Douglas, our outside linebacker, uh, gets traded to San Diego. And uh, he went. What did he end up winning four games? Four and 12. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't eight and eight, but it just seemed like he wanted to get all of Bart's players out of there. And uh, <clears throat> it, it, it was different. When I went to Kansas City, um, I thought, well, this will be a good place. Well, obviously, it was coming home in, in a sense because I grew up watching the Chiefs in Western yeah. Kansas, and uh, uh, their tight ends weren't catching many passes. And I found out why they weren't catching many passes. I didn't throw them many passes. <laughs> so, uh, I told I told uh, the coach, I go, well, let me let me be on special teams. So. My 10th year in the league, I uh, led the Kansas City Chiefs in tackles on special teams. Wow. And in 1986, we made the playoffs and we beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. We scored, I think, 24 points and all of them were on special teams. Uh, we, we, yeah, we, we blocked a punt for a touchdown. We returned a kick for a touchdown. Return, you know, we had one of the best special teams. Actually, I think you can... Uh, go to YouTube or something or Google it and 1986 Kansas city Chiefs special teams. And there's a little clip highlight on, on our special teams. And it, it, it was pretty cool. And then uh, at that point um, I'd been, I'm married. I got my second child on the way. Um, Jesus Christ was the number one thing in my life. You know, before football was kind of my God, yep. it's, uh, it's where I drew my acceptance, my significance in life was the fact that I was a professional football player. And now there were more important things to me in life than professional football. And I tell people I, I didn't have the eye of the tiger anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what drove you really. I mean, you're, that was what kept you in the league and, and made you excel. Right. Right. Yet it had, you know, people would ask me way back when, what are you going to do when you're done playing football? I go die. <laughs> what else? What else? <laughs> yeah, is what it? am I going to do? Yeah, I don't how, know. How, how can I reproduce this in the real world? You know, standing in front of 80,000 people, you know, you're in the end zone and everybody's looking at you. I, you know, it's a feeling that's you just can't describe with with words. And uh, but then Bob Schnelker, who was our offensive coordinator in Green Bay, was up in Minnesota. He called me up, said, hey, I got my third team tight end hurt. Um, we need some same stuff we ran in Green Bay, same terminology. We need a backup. You want to come up? And so I went up, uh, you know, backed up uh, Steve Jordan and Mike Malarkey in Minnesota. Yeah. It was a good way to transition out of the game. Um, I was still in it. I was still in the locker room, still had the camaraderie but I wasn't really expected to do anything. Yeah. You know, I, I, and your body I wasn't was, taking as much of a beating. I'm sure. I, I was just there for insurance in case somebody got hurt. Uh, so uh, yeah, it, I think every, every place I went kind of had its meaning for me in life in green Bay. It's, you know, where I overcame, where I achieved, where I, you know, had my most success Yep. in, uh, Kansas City, it was like I became more of a servant. You're running down on kickoffs, uh, you know, just kind of finding out 
who I was, what I wanted to do. And uh, then in Minnesota, it was just kind of the ease out. Do you watch today? Do you watch today's game at all? And is there anyone, any player that you look at on the field and he's like, he kind of plays like me. Is is there something that reminds you? Uh, well, your, I, I, think, I think a lot of them are better than me. I, I at, <laughs> no, don't I say that. At, well, I look at Travis Kelsey here with the Chiefs, and I mean, gosh. He's phenomenal, he, isn't he? He, he just surpassed 10,000 yards. Uh, you know, I look at George Kittle out in uh, San Francisco. He's not the biggest, strongest, fastest guy. Uh, it seems like he just loves the game, enjoys it. Uh, Mark Andrews, uh, you know, for Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's some there's some good tight ends that are, that are out there, and uh, I, I think a lot of teams do use them more. That they're they're a bigger part of the game. You know, you had Winslow, Todd Christensen, Ozzie Newsome, you know, catching 80, 90 balls back in the day. Yep. But now, you know, most starting tight ends that's that's about what they're going to catch. Where back in my day, actually, the year I caught 56 passes. Uh, the only people that tight ends that had caught more than me were Dave Casper and Raymond Chester out in Oakland, uh, caught 58. Yeah. I mean, so, you could look at a guy like Russ Francis, he never caught out that many passes. No. Yeah. I mean, he, he was a, an unbelievable tight end, uh, you know, and again, he, he's huge and big, strong, fast guy. And, uh, yeah, the, the, those guys, uh, and again, if you caught 50 passes, that was big for a tight end back sure. in the day. We're speaking with Paul Kaufman. Paul Kaufman played 11 seasons in the NFL, including three Pro Bowls, 1982, 83, 84. He got, had four, he's got 42 touchdowns during his career. He went from catching guys zero passes in his rookie year to playing 154 games and re- catching 339 balls, which is unbelievable. He had a great se- great years with Green Bay and also played with the Minnesota Vikings and the Kansas City Chiefs. And Paul is a great signer through the mail. He, he you know, if you send cards to, to his house through the mail, he signs him. He has his favorite uh, Bible verse. He joined us today to talk a little about his career and, and about collecting. I really appreciate your time, Paul. Uh, anything else you want to add before I let you go? Hey, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I do motivational speaking. So uh, look me up, you know, if you have a corporate event and uh, or just, you know, high school football team or uh, do you have, Paul, do you have a website that people go to? No, I, I don't. Uh, I haven't promoted myself, but I'm actually uh, uh, stepping back from my job uh, here in January. And uh, my wife says, well, what are you going to do now? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll promote myself a little more and uh, set up some kind of website. But uh, the, the thousands of people that find my address and send me cards, I know some so there's got to be some website or something out there that uh, that people you know go to to find addresses of former yep. players to send the cards. And I, I'm always amazed. It's like, how did they find me? Because I live in peculiar Missouri. It's a, that's an odd place to live, but uh, no pun you know, intended, right? Yeah, no pun. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm sure if, if they want me to come speak, uh, they can find me somehow. All right, reach out to Paul if you're looking for someone to come out speak to a football team, youth football, uh, you know, relig- religious group, anything. He, Paul, come in and motivate, uh, give some motivational speech to, speech to your group. Check him out. He's Paul Kaufman. Again, he played 11 seasons in the NFL uh, with Green Bay, 
Kansas City and Minnesota. I want to thank you for your time, Paul. It was really a pleasure to meet you and learn a little about your career and about uh, your signing. Yeah, I've been blessed. Uh, you know, my son Chase uh, played eight years in the NFL. My son Carson was a quarterback at Kansas State. My son Cameron was a quarterback at Indiana and then uh, transferred to Wyoming and my daughter played uh, college volleyball. So uh, sports. Yeah. So, you know what? There's a little athletic genes <laughs> in your family there. It's not, it wasn't all hard work. There you go. There you go. All right, Paul, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you. God bless. You too. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it. All right. Good deal. I will. Uh, I'll send you a link when, uh, when it's up next weekend. Okay. Okay, Jeff. All right. Thank you very much. And I want to, uh, you know, thank you for signing my card. I really appreciate that. Drew, I love getting the, I love getting the, um, the chance to talk to these guys, the former pros. And just, mm -hmm. I always thought, what is, what, what is their feeling about getting all these requests from people they don't know? Like, oh, I got a, 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 a letter from Drew Pelto. Do you know Drew? No, I don't know Drew. Do you know Drew? No, I don't know. They're you know, talking to their wife and the kids. All of a sudden they get, you know, they, it must be cool for them to, have uh interaction with fans as much as it is for us getting the cards back don't you think yeah i think so especially like anytime i've written to any of the old indoor soccer players from the 80s that seems to be i mean i've gotten letters back from a lot of them and notes back saying hey wow it's just really great to be remembered by fans and everything so yeah i think for a lot of those guys especially if they weren't like any big names or if they were kind of you know the medium level names you get a guy like you know paul coffin who played in two pro bowls and was i think like a three-time all pro as well yeah, it's like that's I mean, yeah, for him to be remembered, it's like, I mean, he's not, you know, an Ozzie Newsom or something like that. He's a Hall of Famer, but he's a solid player there. So I'm sure they enjoy being remembered. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Well, I want to thank Paul Coffin for joining us. I want to thank Sal Barry from Puck Junk. He was fun to talk to, talking a little hockey. Of course, Clemente Lise, who is our soccer correspondent. And we're going to have him uh, for hopefully every month to talk a little hockey and more soccer. Uh, I want to remind everyone, Drew, why don't you remind everyone about our give a card, get a card. Of course, send uh, two autographed cards to Jeff along with a self-addressed stamped envelope. You can find his address at ttmcast.com. We're going to donate one of those cards through Signatures for Soldiers for their fundraising efforts. And in your self-addressed stamped envelope, you will receive back one of those cards sent by another collector, and your card will go on to one of the other collectors out there. Well, next week, we have a really fun show for you. We have Rich Miller from sportscollectorsdaily.com. We're going to uh, look, at, look back at 2022 and look ahead to 2023. We will have uh, collector Mark Camps, and we will have, of course, Les Wolf and, and more from Les. So we have a fun show for you next week. We will drop that show probably next Friday, right, Drew? We're going to do it a little early because of yeah. the holidays. Uh, I want to wish Drew and his family a happy Christmas. Have a, have a great Christmas. And uh, we will catch up with uh, you guys next week. Wishing everyone many happy returns. We'll see you next week.